Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Hello again, everybody. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France with you on Voices of the West. And we're down at the Tombstone Book Fest. It's the very first, and uh, from what I'm told, it's going to be annual Tombstone Book Festival. And it's a great turnout. It is. It's happening in the Sheffield Inn Hall. And we've got Stuart Rosebrook with us. Hey, True guys. Magazine. Howdy, hey, how's it going? He's it's our going well. first victim, I guess. Yeah, our first. <laughs> great day here in Tombstone. It's just a beautiful day out there, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. what a crowd we got. Are you uh, representing True West Mag? I'm here with Bob Bozbell. He just spoke a short minute ago, and okay. he's got... He talked about uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and his new book, uh, Hellraisers and Trailblazers, Janet Bombersbach, and this is a great way to get everybody together before the big book festival in Tucson this coming weekend. Which you guys are going to be at. We're going to be there. And, you know, Doug Hawking, he organized this. And it's a really, I say, I think this is going to be a great tradition down here in Tombstone. I, you know, I think it's going to be, too. I mean, it's set up very, very well. Uh, it's easy to navigate. Lots of authors, a lot more authors than I would have thought. Yeah, uh, yeah Shefflin Hall is full here. Yeah. I'm just, uh, it's like homecoming here. I think that... Uh, <laughs> If you love the West. You want to be down here in Tombstone before you go up to Tucson exactly. for the book festival. You can, get, you can get all the books before they sell out in Tucson. Yeah. So what are you working on now, Stuart? Well, we just finished our eight, our May. Well, we're working on our May issue, and we just went to press with the April issue. We are celebrating our 70th anniversary. Oh, my God. And awesome. we've got big topics for all of our issues. Wow. The uh, April issue has Robert Duvall on the cover. Uh-huh. And we look back That's on uh, uh, yeah, uh, right. Lonesome Dove. <laughs> yep. And uh, when Johnny Boggs went out and did a, a new piece on the real history behind Larry McMurtry's novel and okay. Lonesome Dove itself, uh, the loving and the, the goodnight loving trail. And uh, it's our big travel issue. And so... One of the things right now, coming a couple years out of COVID, we're really emphasizing how people can get out on the road mm-hmm. and experience the West from the ground up. Really go out and uh, you know hit the trail and uh, go out there and celebrate the West with the men and women who are keeping it alive for us. We had Bob on a couple of years ago when he had published his first Western travel book, and uh, it was great. You know, being able to talk with him. And and yeah, and he had some great, great places to go. And I'm sure he's added on to to all of Most definitely. And you know, it's great to be in Tombstone because this February, March, we always publish our top 10 towns of the West. And this year, Tombstone was our number one town in the West. And we have, we really believe that Tombstone, you know, along with its uh, sister cities of Deadwood and Dodge City and Lincoln and so many of them out there, these, uh, it's because of the dedication of men like you all who keep the West alive on the air and then the people on the ground and the folks in Tombstone who are working so hard with their festivals and restoration and preservation and bringing people here. Tombstone's really leading the way, and we're really proud of what they're doing. Here. We, we talked about that on the way down, about uh, how Tucson seems to have lost uh, its identity as a Western town. And there's bunches of history there. You know, in the 1880s, 1870s, far back as the 1860s. Even going into the 40s, you know, and the, and the connection of Tucson with the movie industry, yeah. you know, the Western movies. You know, they they love to get a West a movie in, but they don't care if it's a Western or, or a Pee Wee Herman. So you know, they, that prompts my question, what, what happened to 
those, I mean, what happened to that feeling of wanting to uh, celebrate your heritage? Well, that, I think, that seems to be gone from Tucson. Well, and I think that that's, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, which you know is in some ways one of the West's most Western cities. Yeah. And I think that the larger cities in the West, and I wrote a, my article in the April issue about Arizona travel. I suggest that if you're on your way down to do the southern Arizona, mm -hmm. Cochise County, stop in Tucson, go to the Arizona Historical Society, um, re, you know, acquaint yourself with the history idea. of the region, and um, it will set up more trips. And I think that um, uh, we passed Fort Lowell yesterday, and I think that those of us who can promote Western travel and heritage need to make sure that people stop in and you're on your way through Tucson, here's the five sites to see. Don't miss these places on if you're studying American Indian history, Spanish history, uh, the territorial era. It's there. But you have to work harder now because many of the cities... There's so many uh, distractions. That's right. And uh, same with Phoenix. Uh, and um, we try to incorporate uh, the big cities on people's travels. You know, think about the Herd or the State Capitol Museum. Arizona Historical Society in Tempe, but we also um, work very hard, and I had an editor at Arizona Highways who really believed this, Bob Really, that we also have to get people out mm -hmm. into the small towns and 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 get people to stop and 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 uh, stop uh, stop and smell the cattle poo, for example. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, <laughs> we're just down in Douglas recently. Um, Visiting with the with the the Glenn family out at their Malpai Ranch, and mm -hmm. uh, there's little historical society museums museums in Douglas. Bisbee has some very good museums. The um, the Gadsden Hotel, a great historical hotel, and um, I think the mantra or the message I bring to people is that we at True West are grateful for the thousands of men and women who are working so hard, whether it's the rodeo committees or the little museums keeping the West alive for this generation and recording the stories. And, Just uh, think how rich it makes your life at, at True West. Oh, I'm very lucky to be yeah. able to That's why. That's the way I, I am about this show. I spend 20 hours a week in the library on the computer, another 20 hours at home. I don't watch TV anymore. All I do is research, <laughs> and this is what I research. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think, you know, between the print and the local newspapers, and also your chambers creating those opportunities for each group yeah. that comes to your town. A walking history or a driving yeah. history of Tucson. You know, uh, here's what you need to see if you're looking for the our heritage and history. And Tucson is, well, you know, one of the oldest cities in the American West. Yep. And um, I think that's something to celebrate. 1775. Well, St. Augustine, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, right. so those are two of the two oldest yep. it, continuously inhabited cities. Right. And, you know, following the uh, Kino's Trail, uh, going down to celebrate uh, Dianza's settlement of, mm -hmm. uh, in Pimaria Alta, it's, uh, it's very rich. And um, I think that um, we have to continue to try even better to find those stories and get people out there. Well, you know, two weeks ago we had Tom Zellner on in his book about Rim to River about traveling the uh, Arizona Trail, and it's really just a, a bunch of uh, anthologies, but a wonderful book, History, Heritage, and one of the one of the articles in there was traveling down I-10 from Phoenix to Tucson, because he used to make that trip. He was, his family's five generations Tucson, and he was talking about all the little towns around coming down, uh, Rivito, Cortero, they don't even exist anymore. And people in Tucson don't know that. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the sadness. All right. Well, I'm glad True West is still doing it after 70 years to keep the uh, keep the keep the era alive because that's what we like to do. Stuart Rooker, thank, thank you much. Thank 70 you so much. more. All right, we'll do it. Thanks all right, Parker. Okay. Thank you all. Thank all right. you, Back on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is lost in action someplace in Los Angeles, and we'll get to him eventually. I'm Missing sure. in mud. <laughs> Missing in mud, yeah, probably. Uh, we're uh, uh, coming to you from the uh, first annual Tombstone Book Festival uh, in Tombstone, Arizona. And uh, not only are there books here, but you can gamble away and lose. A den of iniquity. Lose everything that you have, including the shirt. On your back. I've been I don't wa- mind taking it either. I've been watching him down there, and I, I hope he has a second job because he's been losing a lot. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Pharaoh Phil is our guest. What is the concept of Pharaoh? We Pharaoh see it is, in every damn Western there is. Well, that's because it was in every damn saloon there was Already in the West. then. People like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, they made a living playing that game. Okay. And uh, made more money than they did as a lawman. Oh, I'm sure they did. In <laughs> fact, uh, if you were a faro dealer and a good one, you could get six dollars for a shift. Six dollars in one whole day, Ooh. and only four hour shift. Wow! So you were making some serious yeah. money. And yeah. And some of those guys played double saloons. Oh, I'm sure they did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so if they weren't banking the game, they were just hired out by the saloon, and they came in and made their money. And, yeah. and, and it was it was a draw to the saloon. And say that it again. It was a draw to the saloon. It was like if you couldn't afford dancing girls, you had a faro table. Oh, everybody had a faro table. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were they're portable, the, too, right? Wait, what? The tables are portable. You, oh, you, you they take were made with. to fold up yeah. and take away. They had the, yeah. they had the Just cloth, in right? case the police were going to come by <laughs> and the town didn't like gambling, they could get rid of that table pretty darn quick. Excellent. So the concept of faro, uh, for the radio audience, try and... Uh, just decipher what in the Make world is going Yeah, it's similar to like a roulette. Yeah. You put your you put your money on a card, and then the dealer pulls out two cards: a loser and a winner. If you're a winner, you win. If you're a loser, you lose. That's pretty simple. That's pretty 50/50. simple. Right? It was a 50-50 deal. The the dealer had a little bit of an edge in case there was a split, like two yeah. cards came out at the same of the same number. A pair, yeah. Uh, but bottom line is it was 50-50. So uh, a lot of the Pharaoh dealers would would come into a bar and they'd see a Pharaoh table and they'd sit down as players, yeah, and because uh, they could make money at it. So it was it was an easy game. It was set up. It goes really fast, and it was set up for cowboys and miners and businessmen or whoever. It, a, a kid could learn it. A kid could learn. And in fact, when I do the, my demonstrations. It's the kids that flock to the table, oh, sure. and they're there all afternoon. They can't wait to, <laughs> to play. Really and you fun. clean them out, right? Yeah, well, of you course take I their lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, as, no, as I've as had a... people walk away with stacks this high. And, uh, well, yeah. when he taught me to play Pharaoh, uh, uh, I won. There did you? you? I, I did. Oh, he was just buttering you up. No, he wasn't. Future. I was winning. You know, was it's winning. called salt, salt in the pot. I, a lot so. of people, not not many people, win big because then they don't leave the table alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, other than that, people win. Average game lasts twenty minutes, fifteen. Yeah, and uh, you just keep and keep going, going, and uh, pop some more rye or whatever, and and it has a shoe just like baccarat. It has a shoe, so it's supposed to be 
that's supposed to keep, keep you, you honest. from cheating. Yeah. Keep you honest. Of course, right away they came up with, uh, you know, bra uh, brace shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so you could cheat out of the shoes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course there was a lot of cheating going on because at a 50-50 payout, you had to do something to win money. Yeah. So it wasn't but, the player who was cheating, it was the dealer. Oh, the players had a lot of cheating Did they as do? Well. That's they where do. counting cards came from. <clears throat> well, there's a, a case keeper in this game, so every it's automatically counts the cards for you. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to count them. They're there. That's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Interesting. Well, what caliber Derringer do you carry? <laughs> and it is up your sleeve or your best pocket? No, no, 38 Lightning is just fine. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and a cross draw. Cross draw, he's, of course. He's, he's ready Bat for that. Masterson? Yeah, I watch TV. Yeah, Bat Masterson was a big pharaoh dude. Yeah. Yeah, the Earps, the Mastersons, all the all the Kansas lawmen, they were all, just seems like they were. You know, White Earp got arrested later in life several times for running brace Yo, games. games. Yeah, <laughs> and cheating people and, and drawing them up in there and then getting <laughs> that big money. And honest, honest. Honest Wyatt. Honest Wyatt cheated? Oh, man. Oh, he Hugh O'Brien would, would, would pistol whip a bunch of us. <laughs> With that big butt line. Yeah, yeah which uh, he never carried. All right, uh, your impressions of... Uh, Doug Hawking's first annual uh, Tombstone Book Fest. Isn't this wonderful? It is. And man. Doug is just, he's put out the advertising. Yeah. He's really brought me in. I mean, mm -hmm. he's really trying to make this go. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would venture to say that this is quite success, quite successful. Yep. Well, Doug has charisma. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well it, it didn't hurt to bring on Bob Bo's bell. No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> that, that always he's quite that the draw. Bob, yeah. 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 Oh, we got, right. you know, we got Chris Enns, Melody Groves, Bill Markley, I know. a bunch of, the, well, I think almost, actually almost every, probably every author here is Western Writers of America. That's I would, right. I would assume. Pharaoh Phil, thank you so much, uh, and deal your, away. Where's your next gig? you have any shameless plug you want to do yourself? Oh, no, I, I, I play all over the place, so oh, I okay. try to spend my summers up in Colorado, and I just came from Calico Ghost Town in California, yeah. where we no ran Calico. a saloon there, and... He, he doesn't advertise because the law's after him half the time. <laughs> yeah. Pharaoh dealer, no, that's right. I try to keep There's under. a Pharaoh dealer in town. Find him. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities 
activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tancoverde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like westerns, right? You're I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. Well, we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Out here, due process is a bullet. This is the Voices of the West. Todd Roberts is not with us at this point. He's lost. He's lost someplace in his Los Angeles. He may call in later today. We're hoping. Anyway, we've got. We're here at the uh, Tombstone Book Fest, the first annual Tombstone Book Festival, and we got the uh, the head honcho here who organized the progenitor <laughs> who organized this mess. The progenitor. <laughs> Doug Hawking. The emphasis on guy. He's the guy that everybody points the finger at if if it's a bust. And if it's a success, right. they'll all take credit for it and forget about Doug. You, you've noticed that. You yes, know. indeed. Doug Hawking, what a great production you've put on here, sir. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Um, it's fantastic. You know, in the middle of last night, I, I wasn't sure that anything was going to work. And that, that's the same with every festival organizer ever. 
trust me on that one. I've done enough of them. <laughs> started getting calls and email messages. I've got a yeah. sore throat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, I'll tell you what. You know, in the roundup, all the, they're always showing pictures of the guys there at Albuquerque and Des Moines. And there's three, four, and maybe if you're lucky, five. But most of the time it's like two and three. This place is packed out. There's like yeah. four rows. Every row is full of riders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, this is, again, in prelude to the Tucson Book Fest. It, what was the idea behind starting up this one here in Tombstone? <laughs> well, we wanted to do a, a book festival for Tombstone. Good. Uh, John Donahue, you may have run into earlier. Yeah. Uh, John is the international marketing manage, manager for Tombstone or, or something like that. He changes his title every couple of days. He, he's he's so important. So they can't take a, boot, take a beat on him. Yeah. He's, he's important. Yeah. Well, I don't That's think they pay so. him, but you'd have to ask him about right, that. Right, right, right. Um, in any event, he, he said he wanted to do a book festival. Good. When do we do it? And then Chris Enns, our most recent past president of Western yep. Writers of America. Chris says, hey, can you set me up um, a place in Cochise County to talk? And I said, you know, maybe it's it's time yeah. that we did the festival, because if you look out there, I got Bill Markley yep. and uh, Phil Mills, the current president, yep. Yep. and uh, Melody Groves is here. Mel, you know, and Manuela Schneider Manuela. all the way from Germany. Our German yep. Yep. contingent. Yep. Yeah. So they were all going to be in town. We almost... He'd probably get on my case. We almost had Craig Johnson. Okay. But he had made another arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost had Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But Wyatt, he said, yeah. And then he looked at his calendar and said, oh, no. Hey, you know, I have a yeah. question there. You know, you could fill this place up with guys that have written books about Wyatt Earp. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> You need it be overflowing. Yeah, they'd, yes. they'd, they'd be a fist fight though in no oh, time. Although they, at, at the minimum, you know. Yeah. The real question would be which one brought the knife to the gunfight? Yes. <laughs> Who has the biggest bunt line? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I'm working on a Wyatt Earp book myself right now. Oh, it's the on. ultimate, definitive, <laughs> it will stop all Wyatt Earp books. And it's the topic that no one has ever thought about. And it is. Was Wyatt Earp's horse gay? <laughs> the important things. The important stuff. Yes. yes. Getting down to the, the nitty gritty. Yep. Getting down to the nitty. I actually want to do uh, your autobiography and do it mixed with um, a history of films that were filmed at Mescal. Because Mescal is looking for a history too, yeah. but I, I think this guy is so interesting. Uh, yeah. I keep telling people if you he did, was you'd have more... to write it in crayon, you know. Write <laughs> <laughs> it in crayon. <laughs> the trouble is, you can never tell what's real and not with this guy. <laughs> hey, I'm just carrying on the tradition of cowboy storytelling. That's right. There you that's, go. That, that, that's it in a nutshell. All right. So the event, it's going to be an annual event. Is it going to be the same? Uh, same date every year? I think so, because we're picking up people that are coming into town for the Tucson Festival that otherwise couldn't afford uh, to just come in for Tombstone for one day. Mm-hmm. You know, if we wanted to turn it into a five-day festival, but 
Yeah. By the end of that, I'd be in a straight jacket. <laughs> and you know, this is this is what we didn't mention this, but this is not just people selling books. They're out there in front. They're having conversations, well, talk, yeah. talking, lecture, and then you're visiting. And that's, that's the best part is, that the is visiting. That is. I mean, we got the Empire Ranches down here. We've got a, a gambling table down here. Yeah, uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going on. Pharaoh? Yeah. And that, that's it. If you're, if you, well, I, I don't guess this will go out in time for people to hear it. But I mean, imagine coming here to learn, yeah. to learn Pharaoh, Pharaoh from Pharaoh yeah. Phil. I know a game that they they took out of the casinos, yep, 120 years ago. Uh-huh. And why did it go first? It was popular. It was popular with working men. It was simple to play, and and if you could house, count, you could win. Yeah, and it was almost even odds with the house. So the casinos, they didn't care. This was the one that was right. losing for them. Yep, and. Um, there you so go. they accused him of being crooked playing this game. <laughs> and he, let me tell you, the, 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 there's a book by an old-time gambler. And he, he wrote this book about how to cheat at cards. And he, he wrote a whole chapter on Pharaoh. <laughs> and having learned from Phil, I now know that that chapter is complete nonsense. <laughs> well, you know, Van Flowers and I, we did... Uh, uh, Empire Ranch did a steampunk dance for the cowboy steampunk thing. And they set up a faro table, and they they said, Van, you're going to run the faro table. And he went, oh, I am? (laughs) I don't know anything about it. So so the the two of us, we ran the faro table. We had a ball, and everybody won because we were so incompetent anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, Doug Hawking, your latest book. Southwest train robberies. Yeah, that that is, you know, I got to a point where I said, you know, I, I've really got to write this for the humor. It, mm-hmm. It's all absolute solid history, but you can kind of bend the way that you express yes. certain things, yes. Yes. and you almost have to when you've got the posse getting arrested <laughs> for kidnapping the guy they had papers on. <laughs> Or the, uh, the 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 robbery at uh, when the sheriff uh, they're all playing cards in Wilcox they're all playing cards and decide they're going to go rob the train and everything the thing the room was locked in back so nobody knew that they left. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great story. That is that that, that and is they were the a, lawmen and they were the lawmen that, and, that and robbed was... the train. <laughs> Two of them go out the window, mount their horses, rob the train over at Cochise, and come back. Yeah. And the next day, Billy uh, <laughs> joins the posse, and he becomes one of those guys who is searching for himself. Yeah, and and, and it's like the sheriff, he goes, I can't find these guys. And they're right there with him. You know, he's, he's the mastermind. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, oh, and then yeah. Thacker, the uh, Wells Fargo detective. He says, well, I always knew it was Billy. I just couldn't prove it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Thacker, Uh that's why you got Billy to go with you to Uh arrest Matt Burtz. Yeah. And you gave (laughs) Billy a gun when he was out on his own recognizance after he'd already gone state's evidence, right? Right, right. Gives him a gun. They arrest Matt. On the way back, it becomes clear that Matt is going to go state's evidence. Now Billy's worried. Matt and Thacker head into the restaurant here in town. Billy goes over to the courthouse and breaks the guys out. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my favorite, I can't remember the guy, but they were holding up the train. Yeah. And one guy got shot in the butt with buckshot. 
Three Finger Jack. Yeah. The last surviving member of the High Five Gang. Do you know why he was the last? Because they are, the, others, the others were he dead. He was digitally challenged. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? You can't make this stuff up. I, I sense a movie in there someplace. <laughs> oh, the, the other one that I loved was Shoot 'em Up Dick. Shoot 'em Up Dick was a Cochise County cowboy, Ed Cullen, who was not Shoot 'em Up Dick. But the Santa Fe Papers decided that he was he a member a of the the High Five gang. Uh, and he, he got killed during the robbery, right? Well, I went looking. I said, you know, if this guy was really shoot him up dick, there would have been something somewhere. Yeah. Fifteen years before, I found a guy that uh, didn't pay his lawyer after stealing a horse. <laughs> He was known as Shoot 'em Up Dick. Oh, and then four years after Ed Cullen was dead, over in El Paso, another one. A fellow walks into a Chinese restaurant and eats the most expensive meal, gets up and starts to walk out without paying. And the Chinese says, Hey, you'll no pay. And the guy turns and looks at him and says, Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I'm shoot 'em up dick, and I have been your guest. And the Chinese pulls his pistol from under the counter and says, You shoot 'em up dick, I shoot 'em down dead. You'll pay up. Like I said, oh, I love it. You know, the, you, you know oh it's true. The people don't realize it's just cowboy humor itself because it's it's not like other humor. It's not always a straight line to the punchline. Oh, no. No, no. Well, Doug Hawking, great festival. Glad we're able to be part of it with you uh, on the first annual and uh, hope that we can be part of it for every annual. You we love it. betcha. We love and it. Great coffee. Yeah, and, and great, great, and coffee. great coffee, too, uh, by the way. <laughs> hey, compliments. It won the West. Hey, well, it's our buckles, then. Yes. That means it's, it is, did win the West. I, I meant to bring some Cornish shrub. Well, oh well. Cornish shrub is made with significant quantities of herbs, juices, and mm -hmm. cognac. Yep. Uh huh. And you serve it up a half cup with an ounce of um, with an ounce of rum. Okay. And it will. De Debbie had a sore throat. No, she doesn't. And it I, sounds I, medicinal. And it, it cured her sore throat. I'll bet. But it absolutely, it was, I thought this was an urban legend from when I was in high school. Yeah. yeah. All the boys said I got her drunk and her pants fell off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I gave Debbie this and her pants fell off. <laughs> <laughs> she says it's because she lost weight. I you know, I think it was the Cornish shrub. But hey, March next, 11th next, over at my house. Okay, very good. What? what March 11 at his house. March 11, Irish <laughs> coffee and what, what kind? Cornish grub? Cornish shrub. Cornish shrub. That, that sounds like a weed in the backyard. Hey, if you look into the Old West. Yeah. Okay. They Old were West. making up stuff like raspberry shrub. Sure. And yeah, yeah. Shrubs were sweet stuff sure. to mix with booze. Yeah, why you not? You know, it's like, have you ever had rock and rye? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, probably at my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you, you think about it, uh, so many of our you know, herbal or, or native myth healing things, it's all it's all there. Oh, yeah? I don't know what I was going, where I was going with that. I don't know either. But, Doug Hawking, thank you again for joining us. And thank you for having <laughs> me.
Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansion facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want, Russell, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. A little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head hinches there ever was and I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hinch without the proper hinches around you and that's just a gentle hinch. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. My name is Neil Summers. I started my 53-year stunt profession on High Chaparral and Gunsmoke and a few other shows. And I'm still active, and uh, I want to thank Voices for the West for having me on. We are back on Emil Francis Voices for the West. Harry Alexander's Bunker to France. We are coming to you from the Tombstone Book Festival. It's their first annual fest in Tombstone. And it's a wonderful turnout here. Lots of uh, authors uh, of the Western genre. And uh, one of those is with us at the microphone right now. We just happen to have him. Oh, yeah. We just happen to. It's Harvey, and I'm going to screw up your last name again. Stanbro. Harvey Stanbro, welcome to us, to the Voices of the West. How you, you doing? Yeah, get a little closer to the mic there, if you would, Harvey. Yeah, if you can. There you go. Perfecto. You Thank go. you. That, Not that close. <laughs> All right. Don't singing, wipe you, your nose on our microphone. When I was singing, you had to kiss the mic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back in those, a uh, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
We won't go back that far. Trust me. I can't um, remember that far. Your book is Leaving Amarillo. Why did you leave Amarillo? This one is called Leaving Amarillo, and what happened is uh, I wrote a short story called uh, Adobe Walls, oh, yeah. and it was based on that little mess that's left out there at Charleston. Uh-huh. If you've been out there to Charleston mm-hmm. uh, when the Army got done with it. So I wrote that short story, and the hero of that short story, his name is Wes Crowley, and about three months or so after I wrote that story, and it was selling pretty good, and Wes come back and tugged on my sleeve and said, hey, wouldn't you like to know how we got here? <laughs> I said, I guess maybe I would. Yeah. So he said, all right, sit down and start writing, I'll tell you what happened. So I sat down and started writing, and I wrote Leaving Amarillo. Amarillo wasn't a town in the 1880s in North Texas, but in my books it is because I like the sound of the name Amarillo, yeah. and it's located in the right place to be smack in the middle of Common Chariot. Yeah. So Panhandle. Up in the Texas Panhandle. So Wes Crowley uh, was in, in Company D of the Texas Rangers in Amarillo, and he had a problem with a friend of his who was also up there, and uh, the whole story unfolded from there. But I wrote three books, Leaving Amarillo, uh, Longing for Mexico, and South to Mexico, and I thought, well, that's the end of that. It's a trilogy. I'm done. <laughs> and then Wes came back again, and he said, hey. wouldn't you like to know what happened in the early days? And I said, should. all right. <laughs> so I wrote persistent. three prequels. He's a persistent cuss, isn't he? <laughs> Wes is persistent. Uh, Wes is, Wes's favorite saying is, upright is not a matter of degree. Neither <laughs> are you ain't. <laughs> Love it. So I wrote three prequels to Leaving Amarillo, and then he kept going after that, and then we ended up with uh, ten volumes in the original West Crowley saga. Wow. And then I got to missing old Wes because he and I rode a lot of miles together and come to find out there was a 16-year gap between book oh. two and book three Well, now. in the series. <laughs> what was he doing all that time? Well, he was still a Texas Ranger during oh. most of it. Okay. So I went back and looked him up and said, how about you tell me some of that? And we started writing the West Crowley Gap series. Interesting. So now there's book one, book two, and then the Gap series has ten novels in it, and then book three through ten. So all told, now there are 20 novels and counting. Well, I've got a question for you, then. Yes, sir. He had a pappy, so, you know, what happened? Got to be something there, a connection. Cause some, he had to learn all that stuff from somebody. And he probably went on and had some kids, and I know them kids had to be up to something. He did have some kids. He wound up marrying a senator's daughter down in Mexico, deep Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, where the modern-day state of Guerrero is, mm-hmm. way down south on the Pacific coast. And he married a beautiful senator's daughter down there and made a boy and a girl with her. Now, did any and, of uh, them ride with Pancho Villa? No, 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 not that yet was, anyway. That was a little bit before uh, uh, Wes was down there. Uh, so it's it's a good story. He 
It sounds like a great concept. He starts out at – he joined the Rangers with his buddy Mac at either 15 or 16, and Mac was a year older. Mm-hmm. They saw a Ranger troop ride in, and the Ranger uh, corporal at the time, they watched from the general store as the Ranger corporal went into a, a, a feed store and a, and a livery stable and swapped out his tired horses for some fresh mounts and promised Texas would pay the man. <laughs> and then off they went and uh, chased down a Comanche Indian named Iron Bear. And, uh, and from that, uh, they won the battle of Bokeas Draw, but one lone young Indian was left. His name was Porkrose. And he was about 14 years old then. And that was the very first novel in the series, mm-hmm. Rise of a Warrior because he stood up and become a, a serious Comanche war chief. Well, I have another another kind of, not a, too much a question, but just kind of a comment on the Texas Rangers. You're familiar with the salt wars they had down around El Paso? Yes, sir. And you remember the story then that they were having riots down there, and they sent in a Texas Ranger down there, and he comes riding in, and they go, well, where's the rest of your, your guys? He says... You only have one riot, right? You only need one ranger. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah, Wes encountered a deal similar to that up in uh, up in the what's now Oklahoma Panhandle. Back then was Indian Territory, mm-hmm. they called it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he in- encountered a problem similar to that, and his captain sent him up to to take care of it. Did did he have jurisdiction? Yeah, West tends to carry his jurisdiction with him. I see. Kind of yeah. like Matt Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Texas Ranger, his jurisdiction existed anywhere he went. Yeah. Because yep. they went into Mexico. They went up into, like you said, Oklahoma, over New Mexico, over to, to Mississippi. Yeah, some of the common cheros up in North Texas in the Panhandle area, and then over east of Amarillo, over in, in the main part of, of uh, Indian Territory, Started decided they didn't like being harassed by all those rangers whenever the rangers could catch up with them. So they packed up and moved over to the strip along eastern New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, north of Lee County, so from Portales north. Yeah. And uh, I got Clayton and that whole area up in there. Yeah. So one day something bad happened to a woman that Wes liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he just went nuts and decided he was going to go fix that. <laughs> and he took out and, and made us a, a ride from uh, a place called Logan Bluffs, which isn't really there, from about be. Clovis North to mm-hmm. Clayton and cleared out a bunch of it. And then about four or five months later, his captain decided they needed to go back and do that again. But this time he was going to go with him so it would be sanctioned. And... <laughs> <laughs> and they they rode the I first day they got from Amarillo to the border, and they made camp. And the captain says, well, the next morning, the captain says, well, we probably better put our stars in our pockets now uh, because we're going to be out of our jurisdiction. And Wes said, well, begging your pardon, I carry my jurisdiction with me. <laughs> he said, uh, "He said our job is to be there when folks need help, mm-hmm. and how are they going to know that they can turn to us if they don't see that light shining on them. So, so that's who Wes Crowley is. So has Wes retired now, or, uh, or will he be uh, 
going on more adventures? Sort of. Actually, when... Uh, man, it's like you read the series. <laughs> Actually, when he, when he moved down to Mexico... Uh, settled in. And settled in down there. But he couldn't quite get away from it. It's one of those deals where it yeah, pulled him back yeah, in. Yeah. He became the marshal of Agua Perlado yeah. and uh, cleared up some problems there. Sailors coming ashore and whatnot, and rustlers. And uh, a little bit later on, he decided, man, like so many of us, I know I do, man, wouldn't it be nice to start all over again? <laughs> yeah. So he couldn't do that because he was long in the tooth. So he got to talking to the, the governor of Guerrero down there, who, as luck would have it, used to be a Texas Ranger under Wes Crowley. Well, how about that? Oh, how about, what a coincidence. <laughs> Back in Amarillo. Yeah. I wondered where he got off to. Yeah. yeah. So this young man looks up to Wes, and Wes and he talk, and they come up with a deal called the Guerrero Rangers. Oh. And guess what it's fashioned after? The Texas oh, Rangers. The Texas Rangers. How about that stuff? You know, I've got the strangest feeling that West or one of his kids is going to end over in the Philippines in the Spanish-American War. Mm-hmm. He just I sounds imagine, like, I imagine sounds his, like gran- his son and maybe his grandson might, yeah. might do that. Yeah. <laughs> that is, quite that, a guy. I like to know that. I like to meet this guy. I know, huh? Yeah, we ought to have him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the next best thing. I know. Right? Yeah. It was creative. Good stuff, Harvey. This is a good one. What else have you got working? Uh, well, I write in several genres. Uh, I write in science fiction. I write in science fantasy. I write in mystery. Um, writing is what I do, so mm-hmm. I have kind of a ball with it. Well, I have another question for you. Now that you mentioned science fiction, is there any chance that one of these alien encounters might come down uh, swoop him up, take him off to their home planet so he can clean things up for them? Mm. Oh, take Wes? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a guy named Ryder Jones. Isn't that a wonderful yeah. name? He come up to me one day, or Ryder did, and he said, and he's old West guy. He's not, he's, uh, he's not a contemporary West, though. He's probably 30 years younger than West. But Ryder has the unique ability to see what they call portals mm-hmm. or slips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I slipped up, one time. He was up in Nevada and saw this kind of a shimmering deal in the air, you know, and, and he wasn't quite sure what it was. It wasn't a heat mirage. So he rode on over to it, and as he was watching, a jackrabbit hopped through it and disappeared. And uh, he went through it and found himself back in time. Wow. Hmm. So you go through a slip or a portal, mm-hmm. and you wind up in a different time. Same place, but a different time. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar <laughs> with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars? Oh, yeah. Well, that's how it starts. He's a, it starts as a Western. He ends up in this cave, an old, an old Apache cave, and it's got noxious gas in it, and it knocks him out. When he wakes up, guess where he is? He's on Mars. He's on Mars. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he slipped through somewhere. Yep. It's a great. It's great. It's been great talking to you. Good talking to you too. Here's 
Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? 
We want to hear from you. Well, we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to Best Westerns, Voices of the West at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Remember, all of you, we're playing for big stakes, mighty big stakes, an empire of cattle and land. The Diamond Hitch is not only the key ranch, but it controls the water privileges of the entire district. Once I take over, I'm clamping down. No more free water. That means that the other ranches will dry up like dust and blow away. This is the Voices of the West. Why the Mississippi washes on that sunny southern shore Steamboats come puffing round a bend And a little whitewashed cabin we're back on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker. France, we are coming to you from the Tombstone Book Fest, the first annual Tombstone Book Fest. And with us now, President of the Western Riders of America, Bill Mills, Jr. Bill, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was just talking to him out there. Yeah. And it, he's an interesting fellow, and he's got a sense of humor, so we're, we've got to watch what we do. Uh-oh. <laughs> Be careful. We got we got to be good then, do we? Yeah. Okay. If you're not good, that's playing right into what I like. I see. And on top of that, he's also a Western writer. No kidding. Yeah. Heading the Western Riders of America, and he's a Western writer as Isn't well. Isn't that amazing? And we can, know, what will they think of next? It's amazing how that works out sometimes. <laughs> what do you, which would you prefer to talk about, the WWA or your books let's or Let's talk about or? your book first. Well, we can talk about my books first. Yeah, let's talk like about to. your books first. What, what do you got? Well, I uh, my first book, uh, a little background, uh, my dad was born in Montana. So uh-huh. developed some, and my mother was a Zane Gray fan. So we had all of those books in the house, and and uh, so I always wanted to write a book of fiction. But uh, like many writers, we're caught up with careers and family mm. and whatever, so you don't really get to it until later in life. And so it took me seven years to write my first book, set in southeast Wyoming near Chugwater. And uh, it's called uh, Where a Good Wind Blows. Uh-huh. And uh, I wrote it as a just a one-and-done type of thing. Mm-hmm. One and done. And what I started getting was people calling me and sending me emails and they're like going, um, well, what happened to Sarah? Did Sarah and Jake get married? Uh, what happened to Molly? And, I'm going, and my first thought was, who are these people? And uh, I realized they were talking about characters in the book. Yeah. And so that led to a second book called uh, Where the Wildflowers Dance. Ah, and, that's uh, a good one. I've got a third one now. It's technically a trilogy. Uh, where cold the waters run. It's not published yet. Uh, still doing some editing and tweaking on it and everything. But uh, that was the first one, and I wanted a book of fiction so that I could just get out there and, and let it go and, mm-hmm. and come up with a good story. Along the way, I developed. Uh, I started writing a few children's books okay. for my grandkids, and uh, that's worked out really well. In fact, in some circles, I'm better known as a children's book author than I am. Is it tough to write children's books? Yeah, it's tougher than you think. Uh, and, I, and I give the example, the first one I wrote was called Scooter the Cowdog, and I took the original manuscript to my a granddaughter at the time, she was about 12, 13, and she read it, and it was kind of ho-hum, you know, I'd like, all right, I was expecting a great focus group here, uh, and she's giving me, she's about went to sleep reading it, and uh, so I asked my daughter, I said, what's wrong? She's well, you haven't, you don't have anything in it to, that she can relate to. Mm-hmm. It's really about the dog. And uh, so I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, you need to have him get in trouble and, and get yelled at for some things that she can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had him start tracking mud through the house and uh, pulling clothes off the clothesline and uh, doing some other things. Yeah. And, 
suddenly my granddaughter could say, well, I've done that. I got yelled at for that. <laughs> I, you know, I can appreciate that. Yeah. So there was things like that. And also, it's <laughs> writing a children's book is more than... I don't want to say dumbing it down because they're smarter than you think. Oh, yes, know? they are. Yeah. And, so and they'll, you, they'll spot a mistake or an error on the part quick. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So it's, uh, in, some, in some ways, it's more difficult than writing just sitting down and pouring out a story. So, Western Writers of America, you're the uh, new president. You didn't step back fast enough. <laughs> well, Chris Ness was our president for two years, and then I was her vice president yeah. for those two years. So, it's a um, good teacher. Isn't she, she was a great teacher, and uh, she and I talked all the time. And uh, Melody Groves is our uh, vice president right now, and uh, so she and I are working together trying to yeah. create some new things, uh, bring in some new uh, thoughts and some new ideas to the organization. Uh, we have over 700 members, and. Um, some are here today, and uh, we want to be more inclusive in terms of getting more members that maybe haven't yeah. thought about being involved in the past to get them involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're doing that. We talk to WWA up all the time on our show because, one, you guys have been very supportive of us. You know, we, we've had Chris on numerous times, Bill Markley, uh, Doug, you know, it, you know, glad to have you now. And we hope to have you back many, 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 well, many I times. Invi- open open invite. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, so our meeting is in uh, Rapid City this summer, mm-hmm. June, and uh, we're putting together, we think, a, a great meeting, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fun in some areas, some serious stuff, too. Uh, uh, we've got, um, uh, we've had our coffee, our breakfast roundtable sessions where you could really sign up to go talk to a law author and get some ideas and things. I think we're going to expand on that again this year. We're going to have a trip uh, tour to Deadwood on, on Wednesday. Uh, prior to the meeting, and so we got some great things lined up, and I think looking yeah. forward to it. I just had a thought, and because you know, this event today is such a such a wonderful event, and such a great turnout, and because so many times you know, you'll look in the pictures in the roundup of a, an author event, and there's two or three authors, maybe four, and that's it. This right. this place we have four rows of authors, and just a ton of people, and it's fantastic. And I, what I'm thinking, though, is would it, it would be nice for the WWA to, in local areas, like with Doug here, an author in another area, to many facilitate and, and set things, especially when something <clears throat> is going on that's major in that area. To, yeah, like right, to, ma- many festivals, uh, like it's rodeo time in Tucson now, so, you know... Uh, a mini fest for that. I, yeah, I and the book I'm, fair is the perfect time. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I, I live in Texas. I'm yeah. I live just west of uh, Fort Worth uh, near we- uh, Weatherford, uh, and I'll throw a pitch out at them, a cutting horse capital of the world. Yeah, yeah. there you so, go. Yeah. And uh, so there's no reason why uh, Texas is a big state. There's no reason why we can't. We have a lot of members mm-hmm. there that we couldn't have something like you just suggested uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in different parts and in other parts of the country, too, because one of the things we need to do better at is having things between meetings, between conventions, mm-hmm. that the members feel like they're getting some good out of the organization. And, and and I think sometimes when you get a smaller group, such as what we got here, there's more interaction. You meet people that you maybe don't have time mm-hmm. to meet during the convention because you're busy doing other things. It's not because you don't want to meet them. It's because you just don't have the opportunity. This gives you the opportunity. Yeah. Also, it gives us a chance to get closer to the reader. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. important too. And this is great too for the, these guys because, you know, they come here and they have a great time, and maybe they haven't been to the convention for a couple of years, right. and they go, you know, this, I miss, I want more of this. Right. Well, we, I, 
our, as it's turned out with COVID and the like, we've been forced to uh, have several meetings in the north. Right. And next year, uh, we're in Rapid City this year because we're in Rapid City because we were supposed to be there two yeah. years ago. And COVID, uh, we, weren't, mm-hmm. we didn't even have a meeting that year. So we told them we'd get back there as quick as we could. And so we pushed Tulsa off a year. And then, uh, so we're, next year we'll be in Tulsa. The year after that, we're going to be in Texas. And uh, somewhere, we're not sure exactly where yet. But uh, we need to, we need, well, there's been talk of being in Arkansas and Louisiana and then certainly back out in Arizona and California places. And also, I, I like what you guys have started working with Western Music Association and building up a, a relationship there because that's, you know, people forget that the people that write cowboy songs are writers. All right. Exactly. In my second year of being president, I want, I'd love to see, and I've got a lot of positive feedback on it, I would love to see the WWA uh, come up with a writer's manual, if you will, in which the writer, the members themselves come up with, write a chapter, write a chapter on writing dialogue, yeah. write a chapter on writing plot, Ooh, writing nice. a chapter on yeah. uh, different aspects of writing. That could be used that we could give to new members, that we could give to younger people, sure. on, and written by the real pros that are doing this all the time. I look back and I say, if I Elmer Kelton spent 15 minutes with me one day at a yeah. meeting, he didn't even know who I was, and I and I was in awe of him, talking to me about dialogue, yeah. things I should look for, books I should read, or whatever. Yeah. And I thought if, if we had sources like that, and we do have sources like that in the WWA, they could provide some type of information. We could put a manual together that we could pass out and give out that would be, and I, my opinion would be incredible yeah. because we're talking to the really wow. best of the best here that's sharing their knowledge on on uh, various aspects of uh, writing. That, and and take, break it down and, 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 and put two or three writing wow. in You know, I've got things. a whole series of the WWA anthologies mm-hmm. and I think that's such a great thing. But when you, you, just, you just said about writing the chapters, there was a science fiction book called Thieves' Planet and it was a very popular book, and the, the uh, fellow that wrote it, he says, you know what, because all the writers, sci-fi writers was going, oh, God, we wish we could have we, we written this book. He says, well, why don't you? And he, what he did is he gave the book, the, the, the concept, to all of the members of sci-fi organizations. He says, write anything you want. Just don't change any of the things that have gone before. If you go to the future... Reference the past. If you go to the past, uh, be aware of the future. And that series took off, and there was about 40 different writers had books. Some were anthologies, some were novels. And that would might be something that you could uh, talk over with in one of sure. the meetings. Uh, you know, as, a, as you know, like have Chris write a chapter, you write a chapter, you know, and, and each person. And so you, that way you don't know where your story's going. That's but right. it's but it's like it's like yeah. a mystery. Yeah. yeah well, it's Florida, like Florida writers. It, it, did a lot that. of times, it's like you, you, you hear the stories that your grandparents told yeah. years ago. And gosh, I wish I'd have sat down and really recorded that yeah. or mm-hmm. written that down mm-hmm. on something. We have so many talented people in this organization yeah. that are willing to share. And one of the things we talk about all the time, and I, and I found it from the very first meeting I went to back in Spokane, Washington, back in I think it was 2005, uh, the willingness for them to share 
their opinions and their ideas and, and their expertise with mm -hmm. other members. Uh, I walked into the hotel in Spokane and, and started talking to a guy that I, I don't know who he was. I still don't know who he was, but he started talking to me about, well, how many words is in your manuscript? How many are you doing this and doing this? That's the same meeting that Elmer Kelton took the time to talk to me about dialogue. Mm -hmm. And we talk about being a family in the WWA, and yeah. we, we really are, because it's not like we're in competition with each other, no. although we are. Sure. We're right here today. Yeah. Everybody's trying to sell their own books, but yet we take time, yeah. I believe, and they have been with me and I think others. Uh, about sharing ideas and sharing how you do this or how you do that. And I, we have a great mentor program during the meeting. I like to see that expanded to a year-round thing. Uh, Cowboy Mike, I don't know if you're familiar with Cowboy Mike or not, but I'm sure you are, uh, was my mentor back into He and I are still great friends, and I don't hesitate to call him or turn to him mm -hmm. on suggestions on how to, on some aspect. There's no such thing as writer's block as long as you got somebody you can turn to for an idea yeah. or uh, you, know, you might You might mention the Roundup. Because I, I, that is one of my favorite publications because I, I use it a lot for research. Right. And we've done a couple of shows where I've read something in there and said, that would be a great topic and suggested it to Harry. Right. And they've, they've all been great. Roundup, uh, and Johnny Box does a great job oh, editing yeah. that, uh, has been, uh, I started getting the Roundup before I was, long before I ever went to my first meeting. And, and, uh, and at the time, Jim Crutchfield was the one doing, putting mm -hmm. it out and whatever. And so, yes, I agree. It's a great source for not only keeping up on future books, but different ideas and how do you do this. Your reviews. Do reviews. I love the reviews. And I'm going to plug the April issue just a little bit. This is our 70th year as an organization. Right. We founded in, in 1953. This is 2023. So it's our, I suggested a year or so ago that we have what we're calling a 70 and 70 thing. What, is, what happened was, I, I said, we all know of Zane Gray, we know of Louis L'Amour, we know of all these authors, but who did they read? Mm -hmm. who, who influenced their mm -hmm. thing? There has to be some writers prior to that generation that were writing about the West. So what I did is I took it upon myself to, to go out and, and see if that was true. And certainly I found there were I found over 200 names Easily. of writers that were born prior to 1900. Now, they may have passed away in the, in, in the 20th century, but they started out. Mm -hmm. Some that were lived and died in the 1800s mm -hmm. and were prolific writers. They've never been, and as we're going to be the leading organization for Western writers, they need some sort of recognition. A heritage recognition. So in the April issue, yeah. I were 70 names in there. They're oh. not in the Hall of Fame, yeah. but they wrote, they were prolific Western writers about different aspects of writing. And they, to this day, influence some of the today's writers. You'll appreciate this then, because one of my one of my hobbies, like I need another book hobby, <laughs> is collecting Western novels written before uh, the Virginian. And there's some fantastic, I got one book in there by Nevada Ned that was a pulp. Yeah. But, and, but, and because what's, what's so, like you say, what's so unique is these guys they weren't they weren't writing fiction really they were writing what their their world but they were fictionalizing it and the language you know that's one of my things today is so many western writers they write like people talk today and they didn't talk like that back then the language you know the vernacular the slang all that stuff and that's and that, that's lost in a lot of the modern writing well, I, I, one of the things I found was, and you're exactly right on that, is that I, I put a character in my first book 
and I had somebody proofread it, and they go, well, Phil, that character talks like that today, but would not have talked like mm -hmm. that. So I had to get that cleaned up. That's what's wrong with the Western movies today, is they all talk like it's 19, <laughs> you know, 2023. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And there were some, there were some authors prior to, uh, that were born prior to 1900 that wrote like they saw it then. Mm -hmm. And in many, there was nonfiction because they were living it. Right. They weren't mm -hmm. just writing about something that like we do today that we reach back into the past they weren't making it up they weren't making it up they, they saw it just on the, the way scene it was. yeah on the <laughs> scene and they were there and uh and in fact i i mentioned in in, in an article in that article that said it, i t encourage the reader of the roundup who's going to read that article in mm -hmm. april to go, go back and check these authors out because in some cases they're more per, per how do i say it provocative or i can't yeah. pronounce the word they're more interesting than more the things they wrote about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some were writing in prison. Yeah, and and, and but they were prolific. And uh, so, yeah. Are you familiar with a writer, B.M. Bauer? Absolutely. That's a woman, by the way. That's right. She was the woman saying, Gray, ship of the flying you. And then she had a very successful career as a screenwriter. But she, you know, and her, I actually saw one of her books. I think it was Chip, the first one of the series, uh, republished. I hope so, because I find them at the Friends of the Pima County Library book sale. Right. And that's where you'll find them at these library book sales. Library book sales, a lot of flea markets, yeah. uh, antique markets. That's where I got a lot of mine. I the have treasures. probably 3,000 copies yeah. of hardbacks. That, uh, and that's where I came up with the idea of 70 and 70, because so many of them were old, older authors. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, well, I've never heard of these people before. Yeah. And... Uh, so when I got to researching them, well, you know, this guy wrote 50 books. This guy wrote 100 books. Well, how come nobody's ever said anything about them or mentioned them? Wouldn't it be so neat if some of the publishers would go back and go through and call out some of the really best ones yeah. and then promote them so that people go, oh, okay. Now, there, there's a couple that I ran into that maybe don't wrote two books, but they were so influential mm -hmm. about either Native Americans or about the, the Spanish or something that they are still being read today and used as... It's a, still in a, print, some of them, yeah. Some of them, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we're trying to be more... Um, not even go back prior to the 1900s and bring yeah. in some of those authors because uh, they need to be recognized. Well, you know, it's like it's like the prehistory stuff of the American Indian. Right. That's a whole genre that really hasn't been been worked up. Right. And, of course, we're running into the whole censorship thing, yeah. uh, as you oh, read about all terrible. the time, and, and uh, what, what are we going to do? But I don't think anybody, and I, I'm one of them, I lived in Georgia when I wrote my first book, and I felt a real need to have the accuracy of that book. Yeah. Because if I talked about um, a certain weed or a certain tree or mm -hmm. a certain at a certain elevation or something, I could be called out on it immediately. Mm. And one of the book guys, I, I wish I remembered his name, that I ran across who was very popular in his day, and again, I, I'm bringing it up, I don't remember his name, but he put the gestation of a horse mm -hmm. at a certain number of months. Well, that was wrong. Yeah. He lost his entire readership because of that one mistake. They, so the readers know Western the Western writers have to be right, and, yeah. and I don't think anybody does as much research in, in doing their stories well, as Well, how as can you do. write realistic Western whether it's fiction or history, if it's woke, you can't. Well, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Nor should you. 
Phil Mills, thank you so much. Well, thank you all. And if I can ever help you or be a part of your organization. Oh, you are part of our organization. Uh, <laughs> you are part of our backbone. That's thank right. You, it's uh, and, uh, it's uh, right I on our website. Thank you. you I think you are right hip bone. Yeah, it's on, it's on our website. Yeah. Uh, your website is uh, there, and uh, we appreciate everything that you've well, done I for our program. Thank you so much. Welcome back. It's uh, another edition of Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. We're coming to you from the Tombstone Book Fest. We've got a pair of nice ladies here joining us. Manuela Schneider from the Deutschland. Deutschland. And, uh, from Deutschland. Yeah. And Carol Markstrom, uh, our, one of our favorite from singers, yes. singers, songwriters. Welcome, ladies. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you to having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> so, Manuela, uh, how's everything going with you? You did Germany, long trip, long uh, trip over, and uh, she swam all the way. She did not swim, Bunker. Uh, <laughs> you didn't he, swim? He tells all kinds of stories. Oh, that means careful, she had to know. fly, and her arms are going to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just don't don't pay any attention to him. <laughs> How's your trip to America coming this time? Um, it was good. It was good. It feels good to be able to travel again. I had a long layover in San Francisco, which was kind of tiring, but you know. San Francisco is tough. Uh, <laughs> but as soon as I touch down in Arizona, I'm home. So I think I would travel 30 hours just for the sake of getting home. Nice. nice. Carol, what you been up to? Well, I'm writing, um, doing a lot of songwriting. I, I released my fourth album last year, and I was very pleased. It won Western Album of That's the right. Year with the yes. Academy of Western That's Artists. That's right, yep. And so I'm writing uh, more more music, just kind of on a roll now, and, and looking to getting another album out maybe maybe in about a year. And performing. Just having fun. Just having, doing what I love to do. And that's know. having fun and right. performing. And, and Manuel and I have been involved in filmmaking as well. Ta- let's talk about that. Miner's ca- uh, Candle. Yeah. I, I see you've had at least what, three, six festivals, maybe more by so now. So far we won 24, 25 awards worldwide, including Best Western in Barcelona, which was a great honor. We're still nominated in Holland for Best Filmmaking, um, nominations and awards in Tucumcari, Arizona, Texas, um, LA, San Diego, all over the place. And I've seen uh, some scenes from it because I, when I found out about it, I, I of course looked it up and and what, haven't been able to see the whole movie, but I've got to see scenes and clips show from it. it. Today. And really, it looks interesting. And here, Harry, I'll let you look at that. So, where can one view? Uh, is there a trailer online? The, yeah, for, it's for on movie? it's on YouTube. Okay. Free of charge under the title Miner's Candle, and it's going to be shown today also here okay. oh. at the book event at five o'clock. They're going to show it. How cool! Popcorn? You going to get popcorn? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. I don't oh. think so. But is, maybe is, we can call a saloon to deliver something. <laughs> <laughs> is this your first adventure into filmmaking? Yes. Um, as an author, I try to have more than one iron in the embers, and I always had a really like a neck or good Western music, and because it brings me home when I listen to it. Yeah. 
And so I reached out to Carol and said, I want to try songwriting. So she asked me, what do you want to write about, like a romance or cowboy, whatever? I said, no, about the miners. So she was taken back. Like, and she's miners? in the movie too, right? Yeah. yeah. Why about the miners? And, you know, in, this is my 25th year of coming to Tombstone. Yeah. Wow. And so in all the years, it bugs me that all the praise goes to the gunfighters and Doc Holliday and whatever. I mean, if not for the miners, Tombstone wouldn't be existing. Thank you. None of these crooks would have yeah. come to town. Thank, thank you. Because they wouldn't have earned any money. Mm-hmm. So I thought, like, and in Germany, we have mining companies too. So I thought it's about highest time to give a praise to the miners. We co-wrote the song. Surprisingly, it took off. It was played in Germany, in North Italy, in England, in Australia. It's been on the charts in Australia. Isn't it it, it weird that this is more popular in Europe than it is in America? To a certain degree, kind of like folk song or like contemporary country music. It is popular. I think our problem is our, our music scene is so controlled by big business yeah. it's formula yeah. yeah it's all formula yeah and that's uh, the thing was when we saw that miners candle really seems to be hitting the nail on the head for mm-hmm. some people um i said like carol we need a video we need a music video mm-hmm. for it so we came up with the idea to produce a music video and then i have all this wonderful reenacting friends here and I thought, what a pity, because some of them are really talented actors, So, but you don't get to speak a single line in a music video. So <laughs> a couple, like a week, a week or 10 days before flying over to shoot the video, I rewrote the entire script in two nights, and I wrote a 17-minute short movie script out of yeah. it that combines her performing the song in the video. So now we have this short movie hybrid music medium right. yeah and um, we're planning on uh, doing a full feature movie or a series um, also based on the miners and the red light district mm-hmm. so that's going to be the next project have you done music scores for movies before carol well, I have had um, one of my songs in a in a documentary film mm-hmm. written on a Native American leader, uh, Dakota Sioux, and so that went into a documentary about the Dakota people. But this is the first time that uh, one of my songs went into a short film of this Inspiration. type. Inspiration, right? Right. So what so what did you think about the idea when you, it was first broached? Well, you know, when uh, Manuela brought up the idea about the miners and kind of the the story behind it, I, I started thinking of the song Highwaymen. Um, mm-hmm. That I said, listen to Highwaymen, and it, this is going to be the miner telling the story after he's gone. You know, essentially, it's yeah. the ghost telling the story, and that and that's how it turned out. So I'm so pleased. Um, Manuela, you know, writes great lyrics, and the music just fell into place with that. So, uh, you know, I went on my album, my 2021 uh, album, Mile After Mile, and so I thought, well, that's the end of it. You know, it's on the album now. And then Manuela said, well, let's do the music video, and then the film <laughs> So, <laughs> So what kind of pointers did you offer, did, she, did uh, Manuela need for uh, songwriting? I, not many. You know, I, of course, you know, I... I 
rhyming. You know, we talked meter. about the rhyming in the meter. And, um, but she's just, just really had a knack, you know, has a knack. You got, you got to it right fast, Manuela? I would say, um, it's all based on the incredible love that I have for this country and its history because I found out there's so much German history in it. Yeah. An unbelievable amount of German history. And I have a great, great friend of mine, Charlie Lisser. Um, no, yeah, we know once Charlie. Once he said, like, you know, if you feel like giving up, don't even give up because, <laughs> you know, keep going. You have it, you know. Um, because I, I reached a point where I wanted to give up and people started to attack me saying, like, she can't do that. Why is she doing Western? She ain't not even American. She doesn't have it in her blood. I'll never forget that sentence. And then wow. He said, like, dudes, do your homework. You know, it's like you... If the Germans make fun of the Americans, they spit in the face of their ancestors because half of Phoenix's yeah. phone book is full of German names. <laughs> yeah, right. And then the, on the, the other way around, exactly. I promised Charlie that, okay, I'm not going to give up and I'm going to bring pioneer history back to Europe. And when we won Barcelona, mm-hmm. I achieved that and I haven't given up. And um, for me, it was an unbelievable moment, which I would probably never forget, uh, winning the Charlie Lesur Award um, yeah. in October as first female. And I know the person that stands behind that name. Yep. And I just, I would have given the award back that very moment if only he was next to me on that stage and see it mm-hmm, live mm-hmm. in person. Winner two rides again. Yeah, that is great. He's in a happy place now, yes. so I'm. I'm that is about great. That, that, that <clears throat> the video, that's excellent. Carol, excellent music as always. Thank you, appreciate it. And uh, well, what's on the horizon yeah. for the two of you? Uh, for me, we are gonna write uh, one or two originals for the movie. I try to produce, and with every producer, it's like. The budget, the budget is the debt toll. <laughs> I guess like uh, we are trying to raise the budget. Of, Numbers um, dancing all over the place. Seventy yeah. thousand. Okay. We are still short of seventy thousand, and it's going to be a movie about how an environment of a boomtown changed society because mm. you had like um, alcoholism, and greed, uh, the fights, the prostitutes, all that really. Sw- twisted and turned people into different mm-hmm. human beings mm-hmm. after a year or even less. So I want to paint a picture of society in a boomtown, what happened with them apart from the gunfights and mm-hmm. all that. It's going to be more like a um, society picture. How the, land, how the land shaped them and how they shaped the land. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's going to call, be called Silver Sins because it's about the Silver Rush and the Red Light District, so mm-hmm. it's Silver Sins. And then I have written two new books, which are already with the publisher in the process. Another book is going to be written this year about Russian Bill, Akka William Tattenbaum. Mm -hmm. And then a three-book series is coming out about a very famous female character. I got original material in my hands and I'm going to write it in first person and I cannot release the name of the person okay. yet. Okay. But <laughs> I, I have to write six books until the end of 23 
Um, you you got busy. Two are finished already, and the third oh. book is about one third finished. All so right. I'm, I'm a workaholic. Carol, so what's what you, up for you? Well, um, I, one thing we're very excited about, we'll be meeting up in the Netherlands in August at the Red Carpet Awards Show, wow. where Miner's Candle is, uh, Manuel is uh, nominated as a filmmaker, I'm nominated uh, for music, and then I have some other songs that are finalists, so cool. we'll be, we're looking forward to that. Um, and, and getting back to what we were saying earlier, I'm just very pleased that my music has had a great uh, reception, really, worldwide, Australia, New Zealand, and several European countries. Uh, so, you know, I just look forward more to those opportunities. I would like to perform abroad as well. And I, I will be performing at the award show and and some other venues in Germany on this next trip. So oh, cool. I'm very much looking cool. forward to the, the international audience. Ladies, thank you so much for being with us. Manuela Schneider and Carol Markstrom. It has been a real honor. It has been a real honor to be on Voices of the Well. It's a real honor to have you on. That's it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, and we are coming to you from the Tombstone Book Festival, the first annual Tombstone Book Fest. With us now, Chris Mullen. Hi, Chris. Hey, howdy, sir. How are you today? I'm well. What you got uh, What you got for us? So my name is Chris Mullen. I'm from Houston, Texas, and I've driven over to share my Rowdy series, a young adult Western series that uh, is relatively new on the market but reaching readers all across the country. Why you mentioned young adult? You're you're going specifically for that demographic? Well, not specifically. I mean, you know, a young adult book can certainly be enjoyed by and readers of all ages. But uh, there are definitely uh, life lessons and aspects of the story that specific, uh, specifically reach out to the younger audience, 12 to 18 years old. Specific, you know what I mean? And while they're still, you can still form their little minds a little. Well, bit. you know, you want to be impressionable, but you want to be impressionable in a positive way. Yes. And so the lessons that Rowdy learns and, and the experiences he has are certainly um, applicable to, to, to today. Who's Even, Rowdy based on? Well, that's a very good question, you know. <laughs> I can tell you this, right, the, the real quick history, because I'll get my mouth running like a water faucet, okay. like my dad used to say. Well, you're right here with, uh, right, I hear in you. the shower with um, the rest of us. <laughs> so, um, Rowdy was born in my kindergarten classroom 21 years ago, and uh, I was... It was a Go Texan Day, and Houston's a real big rodeo town, and we'd all dressed up in our Western duds, and it was at the end of the day, and the kids were kind of crazy, and I'm like, all right, cowpokes, we need to head on over to the carpet. Let's rustle up the story time. I've got a, I got a guy to tell you about. He lives way out west past the Triple Cactus on a ranch called the Circle R, and the children's eyes got as big as dish saucers, and they're like, yeah, let's hear a story. So we all, we all got together, and I just started telling this story about Rowdy kind of based on how their behavior was acting a little rowdy at the end of the day. Yep. I never knew at that moment that it would turn into such a journey for me, uh, not only as a teacher and being able to share the stories uh, with my classes, but now being able to share the stories with readers really of all ages. And Rowdy's teaching you. He is teaching me. You know, yeah. he's. I, I have to take lessons from him about being persistent, about being responsible, and about doing, you know, yeah. everybody has an opportunity to to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. It's about what you do afterwards is important. So, Do you find it difficult to write for that age group? I, no, sir, I do not. Um, well, I, you teach that age group, Well, right? no, I don't. Oh, uh, okay. I, my career in education was pre-K and kindergarten for the entirety of my oh, career. Wow. Um, you, you know, I, there's, there's no one formula that I follow. I see the situations. I... I write what I see, 
And uh, you know, you hope for the best when it all comes <laughs> down to editing and rereading and not whatnot. But um, I just I, I base my stories on on experiences I had with my father um, when he was uh, when I was a young boy. He would tell me stories all the time um, based on his readings of Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey and all the all those Western classics that you know we could just sit and talk for hours about. Wow! But um, that and comp- compiled with all the Western movies that I grew up with. You know, Sunday morning was you know Saturday morning was for cartoons, but Sunday morning that was for the Western. <laughs> The Western of the weekend. And I love getting up early. And it didn't matter if it was John Wayne or Randolph Scott yeah. or who it was. All right. Um, All right. Favorite Western. Yep. Randolph Scott. Everybody do it. <clears throat> favorite Western. Oh, favorite Western. I, there's so many to choose from. I'd be dishonoring a lot of Outst- actors by saying out- one. Outstanding but, Western. But yeah. I would have to say Big Jake. I like the premise of the story. It's a kidnapping. It's an it's an adventure. It's a Got it's a relationship it. story between uh, between father and son. You know, if, if I call me daddy one more time, I'll finish this fight. He says, <laughs> you know, um, and and quite honestly, a, a little bit of my inspiration came from that story. You know, John Wayne has their. Um, has a, a dog in the story that he calls Dog. Oh, well, yeah. Rowdy, Rowdy comes across an animal on his journey that saves him from a, from a wolf attack, and this dog just decides he's going to stick with Rowdy. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't name him. He just calls him Dog. Yeah. And you so know, that's their I, every, relationship. Every time I come up with somebody's walking their dog or something like yes. that, I go, hey, hey dog. I start talking to Dog. I, and <laughs> yeah. I know I, they know that's their name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. That's great. No, but that's fun for me. <laughs> What's on the horizon for you? Well, so uh, right now I've got three Rowdy books in print. Um, Wild and Mean, Sharp and Keen is book one. Redemption is book two. And uh, Dead or Alive is book three. Exciting news, though, is this month on the 14th, um, Rowdy Rescue will be released from Wolfpack Publishing. Wise Wolf Books, actually. Wise Wolf is the young adult imprint mm-hmm. from Wolfpack Publishing. And uh, then in April, we'll have a book out called To Catch a Killer. And then in May, we'll have book six out, which is called Return. And I'm really excited about Return because it takes uh, an experience for Rowdy that starts back in book one that isn't addressed at all Mm. and then resurfaces, giving him an opportunity to confront a foe that he never thought would ever be possible to confront. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know, you you got me thinking. When I was a kid, actually, I grew up in, born in 1940. I grew up in in an era in the 40s where there was all kinds of, they were young adult books. They just didn't call them that then. Correct. And they were all over the place. I mean, the movie stars had, you know, Dina Durbin books. You had Smile and Jack. But they were all geared to kids, and they were huge, huge sellers. Yes, sir. And then you go, you go just a few years ago, the young adult market for science fiction just went through the roof. Oh, it exploded. And they're, and they're, and they're making movies from them and series. And I think young adult Western is it's due to hit. I, I would hope so, and, and that's that's my goal. You know, I've I'm, I'm from Richmond, Texas, small town in Southwest Houston, uh, and uh, you know. I'm trying to put Rowdy on the map. Mm -hmm. Um, I have driven all over the country, uh, been to numerous bookstores, numerous book signings, just sharing Mm -hmm. my story, my journey, and and the Rowdy story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what we need, I think, in, in, in the kids' hands today are books and entertainment that teach a lesson, that have uh, enjoyable content, but is absent of all the vulgarity and Al- the inappropriateness. Alternative reading. Yeah, yeah we, keeps, we need to have good... Keeps the phone out of their hands. It keeps the phone out of our hands. <laughs> but, it, you know, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of talk about going overboard with language or overboard yeah. with situations. Right, and right. You, you think to yourself, if I were to take out that 
word, or if I were to take at that scene, what does it do to the story as a whole? You neuter it. It, it, it. Well, I mean, for for my rowdy stories, it it would it would not add to the story to have that extracurricular verbiage, mm-hmm. right? Um, so having a clean story, having an exciting story, I mean, that's all I need to write. Well, yeah, there's, there's you know you know you're you're not you're not writing for some 39 year old guy that's uh, burned out on on James Bond. You're writing for fresh market, fresh minds, fresh ideas, and you know it's like I I I think I've read Huckleberry Finn about four times, mm-hmm. and there's people that say, well, that's an offensive book, but you know what? It's history. It's it's actually it's what was what was, and you sh- writing should be what is and what was. Correct. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was just going to say I'm excited specifically to, to reach those younger readers, um, but it's been such a treat to have, and I have to call them experienced. I got in a little trouble for saying older <laughs> readers at one point, so to reaching to some of those experienced readers because they it brings them back to the days when they were pulling these Louis Lemores yeah. and St. Grains yeah. off the shelf brand new, sure. and they tell me, Chris, this is this is a breath of fresh air. Great. This is a great story, and uh, you know I'm going to share it with my grandson as soon as I get finished with it. Are you familiar with the series that came out many years ago, Hank the Cowdog? Uh, yes, sir. I, I have to that be honest. It started I'm not... out as a newspaper column, yep. and it grew into uh, a series of books. Uh, he's won all kinds of awards and stuff. Yes, sir. I've got a couple of them at home, and the adults enjoy it. Right, yeah. I mean, entertainment, you take it for what it's worth, right? What you're interested in. If it's good, it doesn't matter what age you are yeah. uh, to enjoy it. Chris Mullins, thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Real pleasure. We're glad you came up and shared Rowdy with us. Yes, sir. Well, last thing I have to say is just stay rowdy. We're back on Abel Francis Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. We're uh, coming to you from the Tombstone Book Festival, first annual. And with us uh, now at our microphones is True West Magazine's Bob Bozbell. Good to be here, man. Welcome, sir. Yeah. In the flesh. In the flesh, man. We've had you on the phone before on the show. Glad to have you in person here. Uh, True West Magazine, we had Stuart on earlier. He was telling us you guys are celebrating your 70th anniversary. That is correct. That is is excellent. You know, this is a magazine I read as a kid, so... Me too. Uh, yeah, and so I would go to Desert Drugs in downtown Kingman. My mother would be getting a prescription filled, and I'd run to the front of the store and buy my favorite magazine. You bought it? it? I bought it. Oh, yes, I stood it. there and read it for free. <laughs> yeah, no, I bought it, and it was because uh, it told the true stories of the yeah. West, and yeah. I was just fascinated by that, and still am. Yeah. Still am, really. It's uh, And we bought the magazine in 1999. It was in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we moved it lock, stock, and barrel to Cave Creek, Arizona, where we've been for the last uh, 22, 23 years now. It's crazy to think it's been that long, Uh, but we're still having fun. You know, this I, I got to warn you. You know, Stuart was up here already, and he's a hard act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that, but he's a, a great editor. Oh, he yeah, is a great yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 we love Stuart. Yeah. So you've got a uh, you have a new travel book out? Uh, no, it's a, a new uh, uh, book on uh, real women of the Wild West. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's uh, Hellraisers and Trailblazers. I co-wrote it with Jana Bombersback. Um, we launched the project. In January of 2020, yeah. and we thought it was going to be uh, just a wonderful cruise to the finish, 
and landed. I don't even remember what happened in, yeah, in Italy. Up, yeah. yeah, the pandemic hit, and oh man, it was horrible. And we had to work uh, via Slack and Zoom, which I hate. And then uh, printer didn't have any paper, and it was just it was just oh, really excruciating. And it's amazing that Janet and I are still friends. <laughs> Although she said she'd never do another book with me, so that's how that's how difficult it was. Wow. And you know. um, but I'm so proud of the book. Yeah. And we've got all the women that uh, deserve to be mentioned. Yeah. She went and found all these women that uh, had, you know, history had passed by and hadn't really uh, featured them. And, of course, all the stalwarts are in there, the Calamity Janes and Ellie Cashman, the Big Nose Kates. Mm -hmm. They're all in there. But so is uh, Martha Summerhays. Uh, great book she wrote called uh, Banished Arizona. Yeah, you can't live in Arizona and not read that book. You have to yeah. read Vanished Arizona. It is so spectacular, uh, the things that she wrote about uh, being here in 1874. It's you like know? reading, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, it's like reading uh, Chevis uh, and yes. Arizona before uh, Arizona in 60, or 54, yeah. uh, 1854 it was. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I've got I've <clears throat> to commend you. I gave my cousin the Billy the Kid book for Christmas, and I had to keep one for myself. So, of course, yeah. but his lady, she 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 listens to the show faithfully. She is fanatic. She loves the movies and stuff. That is her favorite book. And you know, I grew up in Riodosa, Lincoln County, and we consider ourselves Billy the Kid experts from from two sure. years old up. Yeah. And everybody says that's the best Billy the Kid book. Ever. Well, thank you. It's a passion for me, and I, uh, uh, you know, I just love Billy the Kid, and I love that whole Lincoln County uh, story. And if you're from there, I, what, one of my favorite quotes is: people say, "Well, how did the Lincoln County War happen?" He said, "Well, there's an old saying: Poor New Mexico, so far from heaven, so close to Texas." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, 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 Texas invaded New Mexico and got. Got their butts well, they, well, they they just kept uh, pushing people out. If you look at old maps of Texas, you yep. know, you'll see the county starting yeah. to go across the state, yeah. and they just kept pushing out the bad ones, and they just yeah. kept going west, and they went right up into the Sacramento Mountains. Yes, they did. And you can, if you take them out of that equation, there would be no Lincoln County. Yeah. What's you know? your favorite Billy the Kid movie? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've probably seen half of them. There's been 65. Yeah. Okay. I think Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, the Sam Peckinpah yeah. one with Chris Christopherson, is, is really emotionally good. I mm -hmm. think Young Guns reinvented the genre. I love Young Guns. Uh, and uh, what else is in there? What movie? do you think of the Johnny Mac Brown one? That's my thing. Well, Johnny Mac Brown one is, is surprising. They, they rebuilt Lincoln out in yeah. uh, California yeah. there somewhere, and it, and it surprisingly looks like what Lincoln well, looked they, like. Well, they shot in Lincoln as well. Did they also? Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, um, now, I didn't care for the new one. There's a new yeah. one out that was filmed in Canada. Uh, and, oh and the, yeah, yeah, and the, the kid, kid, the, the kid looked the, great. The, the yeah. miniseries, yeah, 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 the kid looked great. But I, I just, oh man, they opened up on the killing of Joe Grant, and it was so kind of lame to me. And I just couldn't. Sometimes I, I watch stuff and I go, I gotta watch. It's homework for me. I got, mm -hmm. I gotta yeah. be able. I'm looking at Yellowstone. I'm watching 1883, 1923. 
and my wife will say she hates westerns, by the way. And she, <laughs> <laughs> she, well, you know why she hates them? Because I'm the guy in the movie theater that stands up and says, no. "They didn't have saddles like that in 1875." Yeah. You know, Sounds I'm, like Joe Driver. Yeah, 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 that's me. That's yeah. I'm that I'm that guy. That you know. gun is and, wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, it drives my wife crazy, and yeah. so she's. Uh, but she did like 1883. She okay. she said uh, the writing by Taylor Sheridan. Uh, I, I kept looking at her on the couch, and I'd go, "Honey, you're, honey, you're watching a western here." <laughs> she go, "Yeah, she's shut break, up." She's shut breaking up. down. You're wearing her, wearing no, her out. I, she has very distinctive tastes. Uh, it, with it, it's the opposite with my wife. Every Friday night, it's saddle up, right? And uh, I have to come up with a list of B movies uh, for us to watch. There you and, go. And uh, she'll tell me if it's got enough action or not. How many so far? They're just the two. This is just the two of them, not him. Yeah, just yeah. the two of us on our watch list. We have over 600 wow. westerns, and that's uh, bees and silence and some modern westerns. And thrown what's your in biggest takeaway from that? I must give you a kind of an overview of, of, of uh, the genre that maybe you wouldn't have if you hadn't seen so many. We like B westerns because of the action. Okay. Um, the the actors, yeah, they're great. I mean, Tim McCoy, these guys. You look at Hoot Gibson, Tim McCoy. These guys were in rodeos, Wild West shows. I mean, before they did this, and you oh, look yeah. at them riding, and it's like. It's like poetry in motion. Yeah, you know? Tom Mixon of Gallup is, yeah. is a it's like thing of beauty. It's like watching the perfect double play be thrown or be, be done it. in baseball. And you know, part of it is like, because I, I grew up on them, and I grew up with cowboys, so it's like, I know what it looks like. I know what the guy rides, sets the horse right. And you watch these early ones, and especially coming out of the silence, most of the guys in the westerns in the silence, most of them, we're actual cowboys with the Wild West shows, sure. with rodeo, and and a lot of those guys, when you saw them on the screen, they were wearing the clothes they went home in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, you, you, and the the tack was all authentic. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes is in the Hopalong Cassidy movies, when the bar troop twenty mounts up. Yeah. You got all these shots of these guys mounting up. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't care what the rest of the story is. I just love that scene. Yeah. 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 And the the silent movies, uh, really loving the silence. We, we did those last Saturday. We, yeah, in our movie Saturday program, we did silence. But uh, you, you watch some of these and just the art that they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. some there were lots of stage actors, but they were able to translate that into film. Or yeah. onto film. Yeah. I mean, and it, those guys, but those guys came out of the Victorian horse era, it, so they, yeah. some of them, maybe they couldn't ride a horse, but they could still drive a, drive a buggy or a wagon. Sure, yeah, yeah. Being a horseman was a badge of honor uh, for any male no, yeah. in that era. Yeah. So I mean, that that that's the that's the big attraction. We'll watch modern westerns, but they're hard to sometimes. Yeah, they they're they're hard. And I think a lot of it is uh, the gratuitous violence yeah. that uh, is thrown in with the modern movie and the sex scenes. Yeah, too you, much psychology. You, you, yeah, yeah you, you don't need that to tell the story, I don't think. Yeah. And there's a way to tell it without having to show it. Yeah, look at Tombstone. That's yeah. a straight story. They told the story straight. There was no nothing salacious about it, nothing outrageous. Yeah. It was just good, straight storytelling. Good acting, good yeah. action. Well, you can chalk that up to Kevin Jar, the, the, the writer. Yep. And I was in Tombstone in spring of 1993. Mm-hmm. I was here with the Renegades, and they included uh, Casey T. Pertiller and 
Jeff Morey and John Bosnecker and Robert McCubbin, and we were all uh, uh, lovers of uh, Westerns and stuff. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Morey was the historical consultant on Tombstone. Oh. And he said, I have the script for Tombstone if you want to read it. And I said, I do want to read it. Can I read it tomorrow? And he said, no, I'm leaving in the morning. And we, we had been at the uh, uh, Crystal Palace uh, getting our height, our IQs jacked up, you know. We were, we were, I was so smart. I can't tell you how smart I was. Anyway, uh, we were going back to the Tombstone boarding house. You got a degree. Yeah, and, and uh, Jeff said, if you're going to read that script, you got to read it tonight. So I went to my room. I was... You know, 11 o'clock at night, I was tired. I didn't want to read it. I read the first page. I read the second page. I read the third page. And I read that whole script, and I put it down, and I said, if they film this, this will be the best Wyatt Earp movie yeah. about Tombstone I have ever seen. That's what I heard. Yeah. And it was that stunning, okay? Yeah. Now, a lot of that got um, cut because Kevin got fired. Yeah. And I was there the day he got fired. Yeah. I, Jeff asked me if I wanted to come out and visit the set. And I was doing a radio show in Scottsdale. I got off the air at 9, took my daughter. She was 8 at the time. And we drove down, picked up Jeff in, in Tucson, came down to uh, Elgin. They were filming in Elgin up a, a side canyon. And we went up there, and uh, there was Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. There was all the, the principals. Buck Taylor was there. Uh, and um, they had this fight scene. And, uh, you, you know, I was sitting on a hill. I couldn't be there. And they said, "Don't no pictures. And so mm -hmm. I had a camera on my neck. I said, fine, fine. And so I'm sitting over there, and I'm watching. And the cow, the Earp posse rides up to these cowboys. And White Earp throws his hat to Doc Holliday, gets off, and then starts to fight in a Queensberry yeah. kind of a way. And yeah. I said, oh, this is so informed because... Earp was a uh, 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 he was a referee, you yes, know, yes, a light yes, referee, yep, yep. and I thought, oh, this is so cool. And then Kurt Russell stepped in and he went pow pow. He did the kind of a Hollywood, yeah. you know, kind of fisticuffs. And Kevin Jar, who was the director as well, came back in and went, no, no, you know, he was like, you wanted to go through this Queensbury thing. Um, I went home. I said, boy, this is was great seeing it. The hats were fantastic, and um, I took a picture of it. He, he sat down, he came over and sat down next to Jeff Morey, and I just pulled the camera up and took it. And it turned out to be a very uh, historic photo because he was fired that night oh, for, okay. the, for that scene, I heard later. Mm. And so uh, the scene never made it into the movie, and he was fired. But uh, that Kevin Jar is the reason that movie rocks. Bob Bozbell, what is your favorite Western? You know, I am a nut for weather. I like weather in movies. And it's yeah. the uh, movies hate to do it because of continuity. You know, yep. um, if it, if it rains and they film it, the next day is going to be sunny. Then what are they going to do? How are yeah, they going to get the yeah, coverage? Yeah, yeah. But one of the boldest movies to me is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh, I love the that. weather yeah. in that is you can see people's breath in the saloon. Mm -hmm. That's so mm -hmm. amazing. And then at the end, they had to do a little fakery with the snow. But I love the snow. And I love the fact in McCabe and Mrs. Miller that the town's unfinished. They're building it. They're building the it. Yeah. And there's this one scene where the windows, they haven't cut the windows yet, and so the board comes down. Yes. See, the problem in Hollywood is they hire these craftsmen to, to build the set, and they're not going to leave anything unfinished. Yes. Yeah, right. That, that would be just unseemly yeah, as, a, car, as, yes. a, as a carpenter. Yep. But in that movie, the town's being built. Oh, I just love that. That is excellent. You'll love this, then. What, what about a month and a half ago on our Saturday show, Movie Saturday, 
we did snowy westerns. And we oh, talked about, I, I we love talked that. About, we yeah. talked about it. I just know. love weather in, in, in movies. That's I just great. I think it's great. Bob Bozmel, thank you so much for stopping by. Well, it's my it. pleasure, guys, to shoot the crap with you. It was a real delight. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Terry Alexander and Bunker de France. We're at the uh, Tombstone Book Festival. And right now at our microphone is... I'm Jana Boomerspock. I'm not going to say that three times. <laughs> just, Jana just Jana is good. <laughs> Jana is good enough. Jana, what brings you on down to... You You work with uh, Bob Bo's Bell, but what brings you on down to the... To the uh, Tombstone Book Fest. Well, they were nice enough to ask me to come down because they, a lot of their focus is on women today. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is the start of Women's uh, History Month, the very mm-hmm. day, this very day. March. 1st. So it was a perfect day to start the whole thing. Yeah, sure. And um, and I thought it would be a chance to meet some other authors who do what I like to do and to promote our book and to experience Southern Arizona. I mean, you know, it's always wonderful to come to Tombstone. Do you Any know, excuse? You know Chris Ann's? I know Chris Ann's. Oh, she's she's a isn't she phenomenal? Oh my God, she's fabulous. She's yeah. fabulous. I want to I, I want every one of her books. I just read her book on um, the Buffalo the uh, the Buffalo Girl Buffalo Girls of the mm-hmm. the Cody Girls the women yeah. and and discovered that Bill Cody was a way ahead of his time oh. as far as being fair minded to women. I mean, he gave Everybody, women jobs, paid them well, treated them decently. The Indians, the Mexicans, yeah. everybody got the same pay, the same accommodations, the same food Wasn't that something? As, 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 as the Cowboys. I know. That was just, I mean, that guy, there's so much so much depth to that guy. And, you know, and... And, and he was an easy touch, too. And I guess he was All an the easy... Cowboys would borrow money from Yeah, him. oh, I bet. I know. He ended up kind of poor at the very end, yeah. I think. You know, he had a ranch over in Oracle, not far from yeah. here. Yep. And he played Santa Claus at Christmas time mm-hmm. to the kids. So, I mean, I wrote a story about that. That was kind of cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, what, that's one of the things that shows you that the West was is a particularly fabulous place for women. And amazing women come out of the West. Mm-hmm. I say more amazing than any place else. But it's, part of that is because there's some amazing men in the West. Yeah. And he was one of those amazing men. You know, last Sunday, Chris did a talk up at the Railroad Museum here in Tucson. And... Uh, I love Chris. I had to be there. And it was so interesting because she was talking about the women, the role they played in the railroad. And it's it's just, you know, it's like, it's, it's buried. I know. You know, and it's, it's so fascinating. Who would think it? Who? She just, I just heard her talk. She just spoke. And she's a fabulous speaker, too. Yeah. And who would think that there were women that were so crucial to the success of that rail of the railroad. I mean, it, I never it's not like Hollywood portrays them. No, not at all. <laughs> well, you know, there was a woman that came up with the uh, refrigerator car. It was a woman that came up with better seating on the trains. Uh, the what's her name? I can't think of her name. It starts with the C. The, the architect that designed all the buildings up at the Grand Canyon. Oh, Coulter. Yeah. Coulter. Uh, you know, she designed the the uh, cars. She did. Yeah, oh she my was, God. you know, the accoutrements, you know, the, the guild and the chandeliers. And the, the Pullman cars. She, uh, yeah, oh she my argued. gosh. Yeah. yeah. The ladies were just, they, they, they were, it, it, it was so funny. She talked about uh, when they used the ladies as uh, telegraphers. And at first it was, oh, no, you can't do it. They can't multitask. And, and, and someone said, well, 
Have a baby and cook for a crew. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, excuse me, sir, multitasking was invented by women. Yes, yes. Yeah, it just, but she, is, she does a great talk. And, yeah. And it's such a, a fabulous, fabulous subject. Yeah. And talk, we, we don't get enough of their history. Really. Talk about the book you did with uh, Bob Bozbell. Our book is called Hellraisers and Trailblazers, The Real Women of the Wild West. And um, it's a collaboration that looks at women, many women, mm-hmm. some women you know about, a couple, because most people don't know very much about Western women, but it also talks about a whole bunch of women that you've never heard about and tells you about remarkable things that they did that should be in every history book and isn't probably in any history book anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, what we want to do is we want to expose that. You know, I, I've been writing about Women of the West for 20 years. Bob's been oh. dreaming about this book for 30. Yeah. So we've got a you know, half a century here of, yeah. of duo power yeah. thinking about it. And I already knew that there were remarkable women in the West because the West had such a legacy. It had, there were four times more female lawyers in the West than in the East in the mm-hmm. 1800s. Twice as many journalists, doctors. twice as many doctors. Yeah. Um, women were homesteading with, under their own name. They were had the brands under their own name. In fact, the brand that eventually became the brand for the Cattlemen Association yeah. in Wyoming was first owned by a woman. Um, they... Um, they were, they were in politics way early. Uh, Montana sent yeah. Janet Rankin to Congress before Eastern women could even vote. Yeah, Wyoming uh, had... Yeah, we had, you know, we had all that happening. We didn't have... Suffrage wasn't born in the West, yeah. but boy, this is where it flourished. Well, you know, and people feel you know, like all of the madams that were on the town councils. There was, then there were madams on that, town that, councils. That they, they, they were... The movers and shakers, what was going on in right. town? Usually, the richest women in the in, richest women in the territory were the madams yeah. of the, you know, um, and but then there, but there were also all these other women who had and nothing to do with that. Yeah. yeah, they invested, right? And Bob really wanted to focus on the, those. I wanted to focus <laughs> yeah, on everybody Bob else. Would, yeah. That's right. I wanted to focus on everybody else. Yeah. I wanted to focus on people, other women who had done things outside the working girl kind of kind of phase. Yeah. So. Well, I've got, I've got a question for you, Nick, because this, this is a favorite of mine, and we talk about her from time to time on the show, B.M. Bauer. B.M. Bauer? Uh-huh. She was a woman writer. She wrote Chips of the, Chip of the Flying You, but she was the most popular woman writer. She was like the Zane Grey of that period. Really? And she ended up writing for the movies and was just a prolific script writer. For, do an article on B.M. Bauer. B.M. Bauer. That's a great, a great clue. Thank you. You know, it's, it's. I was, I was talking with Chris. Uh, you know, it's like the women in the early silence. You know, the, the, yeah. the first the stars side. were women, and they were stars of serials, action serials. Right. You know, Pearl White, uh, Hazards of Helen. You know, mm-hmm. and some of these serials ran for years. I mean, that one, one, one year right after another, they right. just kept making them. Right. And these gals were phenomenal. Yeah. The other thing that the West gave to to the world was the professional athletes. Yes. You know, the very first star that came out of the West was Annie Oakley. She was probably the biggest star in the entire world. Yeah. She was paid yep. enormously and everything. Yep. But the women rodeo queens yes. and rodeo um, uh, champions were the first professional female athletes in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And know, they, we... they were doing things that other women thought... They were astonished. We had two of them here in Tucson, Alice and, uh, and Marge Greeno, you know, the, the Greeno family. Uh-huh. And they they were early champions. They, they kind of get, get forgotten 
uh, Alice went on to become, a, she had a stable in Hollywood and, and uh, she doubled Dale Evans and she they rented horses to the pictures. Wow. But, you know, the, the, just the, like you say, these gals, they just didn't rodeo. They went on and did more stuff because they were smart, they were talented, and they had, they had ambition. Yeah, right. Hey, it's been great talking with you guys. Thank oh, you so wonderful. much. Jenna, thank you so much. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. We're glad you came by. Thanks. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It's Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. And uh, with us right now at the Tombstone Book Fest, it is Bill Markley. Howdy, Bill. Hi, do I speak? Yeah, right, right there. <laughs> that's the microphone. Right, right there. there. Uh, that's called a microphone. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't have those back in the old west. We had, right? had a shell. <laughs> we had megaphones. Megaphones. <laughs> yeah, right. How, how you be, sir? Good, good. good it's good, been good. fun. Good, good event here good at the tomb, first annual Tombstone Book Festival. And you're gearing up for the Tucson Book Fest, of course. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. How many books did you bring? A couple of thousand? A couple of thousand. That's yeah. good. Well, you'll yeah. sell them all. He does good. I've watched him there. They call it the, the Great Wall of Markley. You know, I put all my books out and yeah. see what happens. Your they, own fortress. They buy them out of pity because... Uh, yeah. Don't let this man take these home. Well, I know, I know buy, he's, buy a book for gas money. Yeah, right. he's, got, he's got this trick. He puts a little dab of honey on the book. Ah. You don't even notice. They pick it up and then they... Can't get rid of it. Can't get it out of their hands. Look at well, that. How much is it? i got to take it yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Boy, oh, boy. You know, of all the tricks, man. <laughs> He's the master. So uh, what's your latest book now, Geronimo? Uh, no, well, no. actually, the latest is uh, Wild Bill Hickok hey, that's right, Buffalo yeah. Bill Cody, uh, uh, Plainsman of the Legendary West. Yep, we have that one, don't we? Yes, yes we did. Yeah, yeah we, we had talked we, about we, that. We've a had little him bit on the show cast. about that. Yeah, okay, I yeah. remember. Now that. you remember this guy. Yeah. <laughs> what does he do? He, yeah, he's a writer. A writer. So, oh. A writer, not a writer. writer. Oh, okay. Well, he does both. Yes, he does yeah. actually. He does those. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it was probably the most fun book I did. Of, of all the books I've done, because I, I love these two two bills, and uh, mm-hmm. they're quite the characters. So um, it, it was you know, fun. It's, to, a, it's a great concept of a pairing, you know. Yeah. Like, like the, what was the other one before that? Well, uh, Adrenaline and Singbowl. Yeah, oh, I yeah. love that one because you do two very very different American Indians, two very different cultures. Right. But the parallels and, and the the influence that their being here had upon America. Yeah. I, you know, as I was, uh, uh, well, I just got done giving a presentation, right? but I said that we all know that the federal government treated, you know, the tribes shabbily. But when, and you can read that in certain books, but when you have the government doing it to two tribes that are not even close together, side by side, you really see what was going on mm-hmm. at the time. And some of the same people were doing the same things to the Papa Lakota as they were to the, the oh, Chiricahua. Yeah, yeah, Crook and, and uh, you know, Sheridan and, mm-hmm. and Sheridan. I mean, they're... Mm-hmm. And, and the, on the record, what they thought about the Indian. Right. You know, which yeah. they didn't realize posterity a couple hundred years later People were going, well, these guys weren't so cool. I mean, what what was, I, to me, what was really bad was they, they would tell them or promise them anything to get them to surrender. And then after they surrendered, 
you know, the, the federal government reneged on the on the promises. Because well, well, they had to take everything to Congress, and Congress said, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to spend that money. Yeah. 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 Well, the tribes have gotten the last laugh on the federal government now, I think, with the... With the uh, uh, number of casinos that are being and we're operated. getting a third one in Tucson <laughs> yeah. now. Ah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think that I think it's great. The Yaki, it's it's a piece of land down by it was always the traditional Yaki reservation, which the only reason they got it was a rich rancher uh, in, in the early 1900s gave them the land. Oh, okay. And they petitioned Congress and finally got the reservation status, and this new piece or the uh, New casinos going in is a piece of land between them and the freeway that they picked up, and now that's part of the reservation. And we've got a new casino going. New to be casino started. right off the freeway. Boy, oh boy, location, location, location. You know, I think I'm it's glad because you know I'm partial. I'm part. I'm mixed blood. Okay. And it comes out more because I'm Basque, Cherokee, Powhatan, and some what I call Euro trash blood. <laughs> So yeah. how else have uh, how, how else have you been doing? Uh, just keeping up with uh, what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, my latest uh, writing project, which I just started with uh, a, a new publisher, uh, Far Far Country Press up in Montana. Uh, I'm I'm doing uh, the Life and Times of Jim Bridger. Ooh, so um, so that's going to be fun fun the to do. Men are such a great hero. Oh yeah, and what, what's kind of funny, you know. People, some people have asked me, well, what are you doing? I'm going, Jim Bridger, and, and I get this blank look on their face. And so, you know, going, who's Jim Bridger? And I go, well, you don't know Jim Bridger. You know, I, but, I mean, for people who might be listening in, of course, he was in, uh, you know, in the fur trade, yep. um, you know, trapping beaver and, and that sort of thing. But he was also a great explorer. Mm-hmm. And he discovered the Great Salt Lake and South Pass and a, a whole bunch of other places. Well, he and Carson and uh, who else? Uh yeah. Well, you got guys Fremont, Fremont and, uh, yeah. yeah, Bridger. And, and, you know, yeah. You're thinking Jedediah Smith yeah, and Tom yeah. um, Fitzpatrick, and I mean, and those those are just the guys that have been written about. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting with Bridger was um, he uh, he never learned to read or write. I mean, he couldn't even he couldn't even write his own name. Hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of these other people would you know write their memoirs or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he had. He, he didn't. He couldn't do that, and so, he, in, in a way, um, you have to base it on what other people said about him. And you have and, to wonder how accurate is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I found. Um, well, you, you guys uh, know the, the story of uh, Hugh Glass, who was mm-hmm. mauled by the grizzly yes. bear up in in uh, what is now South Dakota, uh, near on the Grand River. Um, which, if anyone's ever seen the movie The Reverend. Uh, it's so that, inaccurate. That was, it was so it was ridiculous, and everybody in South Dakota goes, "That's that does not depict the scenery does not depict." And yeah. if you've not seen the movie, it's you know in this deep forest. There's no deep forest like that in South Dakota <laughs> no. where, where this took place. But anyway, uh, it's interesting. Everybody thinks that Jim Bridger was. There were two guys that were left behind with Hugh Glass after he'd been mauled by the bear, and they left him behind. And uh, everybody believes that Jim Bridger was one of those two guys. And that he well, was the maybe, youngest one. 
Huh? Maybe. He, he was, was the youngest, youngest one. maybe. Yeah, but maybe not. Yeah. Because um, mm. the story didn't didn't come out until about 20 years after the event, and the guy that wrote the story was known to be quite the embellisher, and he called the young guy that was behind uh, uh, Jim Bridges, mm-hmm. and then people took Bridges mm. and corrupted it into Bridger, uh-huh. and later on in life. Uh, one of Bridger's friends asked him, he said, about that whole inc- incident. And he, and Bridger said, there there was no desertion, you know, meaning that yeah. he didn't leave Hugh Glass behind. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, And th- there's very little information on that whole account. And as time is going on, you know, as things happen, legends, you know, things get encrusted upon the legend and stuff. The stuff so, that you're looking for with this particular project, again, there's, how how much has been written about it? How much? How are you? How are you able to research this? There, there's a there's a couple uh, good books out there on Jim Bridger already. But what I like to do is I find a, a, a good, and this is how I do everything: find a good biography, and then go look at that and person's sources, and then go back and go to those particular uh-huh. sources. And uh, another really great. Um, it probably won't help me too much with this book, but other books, the one especially Cody and, and Hickok, is to go, uh, there, there's, it's called newspapers.com. Right. And uh, you, can go, mm-hmm. you can go mm-hmm. in there and you can get just about any old paper. Yeah, newspaper uh, accounts uh, of the day, from, yeah. Yeah, in the and day. those guys were so well documented in the media of their day. Yeah, after a while, after yeah. they became famous, yeah. it's like, man, they couldn't sneeze and they're, they're right, right and in the And then they started <laughs> embellishing them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's one of the things, what I understand about Bridges is that an awful lot of that stuff was, uh, like you say, second generation and anecdotal and it was people say, "Well, I remember this," and and they would tell somebody that story, and then they would write it down. And we all know that reporters always like it a little bit. Well, it was a badger. No, that doesn't. That a bear. That sounds better than, than a badger. You know, and that's oh, yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a great story uh, about uh, Wild Bill Hickok um, long before he was shot in <laughs> in Deadwood, but um, uh, after. After he had, um, um, uh, I, I don't have my material in front of me. My brain, I don't remember anything all that well. That's why I write because I can't remember anything. <laughs> and you have a computer with that data right, right, on right. it. Yeah, but um, when, uh, when um, Hickok was uh, uh, marshal in um, a- a- Abilene, I, I think it was, um, he shot and killed uh, Phil Phil Cole there, mm-hmm. and um, and Texans were after him. I mean, uh, they they uh, followed him on a train one time. Well, anyway, I think it was, uh, you know, the early 1870s, uh, there was a report that Texans had tracked uh, Hickok down in uh, Dodge City and shot and killed him in a bar. And it was very, a very detailed account. And the papers carried it all across the country. Mm-hmm. And, and Hickok was alive and well in Springfield, Missouri, you know, visiting friends back there. And so he wrote to the paper and he said, hey, I want you to know I'm, I'm still alive. And he said, no Texan's going to put me in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the paper then printed a retraction. 
And, uh, and he said something about, well, if anybody can prove that they're still alive, we will print that in our paper. <laughs> what are you and Colin up to these days? Um, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> well, have you guys had a falling out? Or no, no, no. Actually, actually um, no, we, we don't have any. Uh, our, um, our series of, um, you know, where we take mm -hmm. conflicting sides to the stories, that, that was canceled by uh, oh. Two Dot. And they, they also canceled my um, Legendary West series. So that's why wow. I'm going with uh, you know, Far Country now. So I, I, I'm fine with that. It's good. I, I, I was thinking so. you guys should do like, uh, who, who, was, who was the better cowboy, Gene Autry or Roy Rogers? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, but we, what we are doing is uh, we're going to be in uh, Deadwood. Um, I, I'm not sure the exact date, but August of this year, I think it's like around August 15th, whatever that weekend is, mm -hmm. um, we're going to be presenting in Deadwood and just do a live back and forth How cool. uh, oh, on, cool. um, you know, the various topics that we've covered. So, um, How cool. Yeah, so that'll be fun to do. Are you going to record it or re get a record yeah, of it? I, That'd be I, cool. You know, yeah, that, yeah, I uh, have to needs, double check with that. Yeah, see if they're going to uh, do a video of it. Yeah, Deadwood History Inc. is going to do that yeah. for mm -hmm. us. So, um, yeah, that should be fun. Cool. Bill Markley, thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me here. It's been been a blast, and it's great to see you guys. We're back now on Amal Frenzy's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. With us is the lovely Miss Chris Hens. One of my favorites. Look at you guys. I, you know, I, I'm Make glad I tipped you. I'm glad I, I'm glad I tipped you before we started this. It Good wasn't job. enough, by the Good way. Good job. What's that? It wasn't enough, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Well, okay. It's never enough for. Come on by. We'll, we'll, uh, we always trade compliments for books. So That's come right. on by. And you know, I want to say, I, unfortunately, we're radio and not TV, because you look resplendent in your white. Victorian gal. Indeed. Well, thank you. That is in honor of it's Women's History Month, and uh, my new book that comes out this month in paperback. It came out, uh, actually, it came out in 2020, just in time for COVID. Isn't yeah. that lovely? You work so hard on a book, yeah. and it comes out. It came out in 2020 because it's uh, it, it's a book that commemorates the one. It was to commemorate the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote, and uh, the book is called. And no they should. Yeah. Thank you. The book is called No Place for a Woman, um, the, the Struggle for Suffrage in the, in the Wild West. And uh, a lot of folks don't know that the movement to, to get the vote started in the East, but it wasn't realized until it was west of the Mississippi. So. Thank God for Wyoming. Yeah, I know. Wyoming is great. But, you know, you always have those folks at Utah that get pretty upset because Utah, um, you know, those women there had to, had to fight twice for their right to vote. So, really, Utah gave women the right to vote first, mm -hmm. but women in Wyoming, it counts for them because women in Utah, they gave them the right to vote thinking they would vote out pluralistic marriage. Mm -hmm. And when they didn't, they took it back. <laughs> so they had to fight again. So yeah. really, Wyoming is credited for being the place that women first voted because they didn't have to take it back. You are one author who has really explored the women in the West and what women, their con the contributions of women to the West and, and how probably it wouldn't have happened without women, obviously. It's, why, is it that, why is it so difficult to get those kinds of stories out? You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of men, so I always get pretty offended when anybody ever says stories about women are uh, far and few in between. 
and that men have done their best to make sure that it's called history and not herstory. I always get really, really annoyed with that because good historians, good historians wouldn't do that. Yeah. Good historians wouldn't leave it out. Yeah. Like, for example, I live in the gold country, and when gold was found in, um, you know, Sutter's Creek in 1849, you had, you know, by 1852, you had mostly men out there, very few women, and the women that were there were prostitutes. No historian is going to say, last night met a great whore. No one's <laughs> doing that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. the stories of women... Or I married a... Yeah, the women, stories of women are out, uh, are out there, and their contribution are there, just like the gold that the men came to dig for. You have to dig for it. I mean... You know, when the gold rush happened, they told people, it's very easy. All you have to do is bring a spoon. That's mm-hmm. how easy yeah, it is. Right, right. Just like finding stories about women, you got to dig for it. And well, they're like, there. It's like you said at your talks on Sunday, letters and journals. Lots of letters and journals, and men were very respectful of women. That's that's right. That's what I was talking about on Sunday at, at the uh, Railroad Museum in uh, Tucson. I was talking about the fact that um, a lot of the information that you read, the journals and the diaries that men wrote about women, they always referred to them by the person that they were married to. Such, mm-hmm. For example, Mrs. Benjamin Kelsey. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that because they were being jerks and, well, we just will leave a woman's first name out. They didn't do it for that well, reason. It was Victorian That times. was a very proper, proper way. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you get into 2023 and every time you hear somebody talk about it, it's like, well, men just didn't want women. That's just baloney. I'm sorry. I That's right. I've used the word baloney on your show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you used yeah. the B word. I have. Yeah, the B I, word. Am, I have. Oh my I just get I just get my back up about that because yeah. I think that it's unfair. I think it's unfair. You know, it's so funny because I, I, I love old anything old. I read old newspapers. But well that's not, why but, I'm on the show and you yeah. like me. So, <laughs> no, you're, so you're, we're doing well. You're, you're we're a, doing well. You're a you're a babe <laughs> in many ways. We're spring chickens but, today, yeah. but you know Growing up in Rio Dosa, we had a small town paper. And I can remember, this is now going back into the 1950s when I'm in high school. And their small town papers, they, they, the ladies had a, a sewing thing, the ladies had a bake sale. And it wasn't uh, Chris Enns and, and her friends did it. It was Mrs. Mrs. Enns and the ladies. That's absolutely because, correct. Because That's, that was yeah. the mores and the way things was done. Right. Yeah. It was the proper way of doing things. And... I mean, sincerely, I have been, I have written, I am on my 56th book about women of the American frontier. Uh, The stories are out there. Mm -hmm. They're not, men haven't purposely said, well, let's just not put anything down about them, for goodness sake. They're there. And, you know, now it's 2023, and if they're not there, it is incumbent upon those women writers to bring that out. Mm -hmm. If you think that that's happened, you got to tell that story. And speaking of women that have not been written about, you have a book coming about the rodeo women. Yes, that's right. Um, it's called uh, Along Came a Cowgirl, the iconic women of the rodeos and Wild West shows. Just it was such a kick in the pants to do because um, those those women, they rode in rodeos and did things in rodeos that men said, you can't do that. You can't bulldog. Yeah. Bulldog was really, bulldogging is yeah. tough because bulldogging is jumping off a horse, 
onto the back of a head of a steer, twisting its horns until it lays down. And, and they it's said women can't do that. Sport. Yeah. And they said women couldn't do it. But Fox Hastings and other women like Fox oh, yeah. said, I can do that. I'm going to do that. They it's a matter were, of leverage. Yeah, they and were, they did. They were some of the, you know, but it, you know, it's funny. They were some of the best saddle bronc riders. But people don't realize that most of the good saddle bronc riders are small frame people. Right. And, and what was interesting about working on this book is to see that these women went from rodeos, went from wild run shows and rodeos mm-hmm. right into being stunt people for the very first silent films. Right. Yeah. And women did things that men didn't want to do. And Buffalo women Bill said, had them. I can do it. Buffalo Bill had, had the ladies in the Wild West show. Yeah, but see, and they were doing men. They dressed as the men and do the men's That's stuff. right. The Perry sisters were two women that did that exact same thing. They would come out dressed as men. And one of them was driving a stagecoach, and the other one would come in and pretend to be an outlaw <laughs> and rob the stagecoach. And then at the end, the spectacular way that they were riding their horses and the, and the stunts that they would do on the back of their horses, they would take a bow and take off their wigs. And then yeah. you would see that there were women. But, you know, men like Buffalo Bill Cody and Alan Pinkerton were quite progressive for their day. They didn't care about hiring women. They did it. Yeah. They did it. They and they paid it equal with that's the men. Right. Everybody they, was paid equal. They weren't afraid to do it. And um, yeah, there were there were a lot of men out there like that. They're, mm-hmm. they're the ones that don't get well, the respect Bill. that they need. Pawnee Bill was that way. Yeah, Pawnee Bill did it primarily because of his wife, May he Manning had to Lily. Do it because of well, Cody. <laughs> no, I mean, he was he was in business. He was he was in business with uh, Cody mm-hmm. before he married May Manning, but she didn't care much for Cody. She thought he was a womanizer and a really bad bad person in business. Bad but person. she's in the book Along Came a Cowgirl because uh, May Manning lost a child early on in their marriage in her marriage to Pawnee Bill. And just was so horribly depressed about it and laid in bed at the ranch and couldn't really get get up and get herself going. Mm-hmm. And she would look out the window and watch Pawnee Bill uh, breaking these horses. And she thought, I could do that. <laughs> and she gets herself up and she goes out and she learns to break those horses and becomes just this phenomenal writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, I have a photo of one of the very first posters that was done by May Manning Lily for the Cody show where she is looking at the camera pointing a gun. And it's the very first type of uh, poster done like this because everywhere you go in the room, the gun seems to follow you. Wow. Hmm. And there had never been a poster done like wow. that until May Manning. Interesting. So, Chris, since your uh, tenure as president of Western Riders has ended, you've got so much more time now. <laughs> I can. Yeah, I do. But you know, I I took over as the executive director of the Will Rogers Medallion Award. Okay. And so that's you just can't step back fast enough. You know, huh? I just it's it's such a phenomenal thing, and Will Rogers was yeah. such oh. a grand individual. Yeah. And um, yep. I've got a dozens of his books. You know, he he what just is. in all our books, every submission has to live up to the Rogers standard. You know, yeah. so I had the opportunity to tour the Will Rogers house in California uh, Todd Roberts took took me there and oh my god it was it was just so cool so cool to, and they to still play that. polo out there yeah yeah, yeah. He, he just was I'm just so proud to be a part of that organization yeah. you know and it's not a membership based anybody can come we, our program is uh, in Fort Worth in October the end of October and um, this year, our um, keynote speaker and the winner of our Golden Larry Award is Craig Johnson. Mm-hmm. So he'll be there. And then our uh, Lifetime Achievement Award winner was Larry, is Larry J. Martin. And he'll be there with his film, Eye for Eye, 
to show off his film. He's a great filmmaker and a phenomenal author, and we're just going to have a great time. What did uh, two years of being president uh, of the organization, how, how did that help you? Uh, obviously more contacts uh, with people and such, but uh, in a, did it... It obviously enriched you in some fashions. I think it gave me an opportunity to be able to help any writer who needed help. Mm -hmm. I love being able to do that. Somebody comes to me and says, I've got this idea for a book, or I want to write a book, or any of those kind of questions. I love being able to help them if I Mm -hmm. can. I mean, that's what this is all about. Um, I just went up to uh, J&L Silver here in Tombstone and talked to my friends Lynn down there, and I took one of Bill Markley's books Mm -hmm. so they could possibly uh, carry some of Markley's books. Turns out they had all of Markley's books. But that's that's the kind of thing that you do. That's what you do. And, and, And with organizations like that, you're really it a great opportunity to be able to, to, to help people. And that's what it's all about, is being able to help, because it's a membership-based organization. I mean, I, I think the membership is, it's either 75 or $85 a year. And 75. 75. And you've got people that are struggling authors and can scarcely afford it. So part of what the perk mm-hmm. being an organization like that is being able to help somebody along the way. Well, you know, by gum, that's what we should be doing. Just being a member and being able to get the roundup is worth the price of membership, I think. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, it, it, it's like you say, the mentorship is probably the greatest reward you get in life because no matter how much success you have, it doesn't mean anything if you can't pass it on. Yeah, I mean, it's good to be, like, for example, we're here at the uh, first annual Tombstone Book Festival, and we're here surrounded by lots of our friends, people who would go that extra mile, that if, you know, you step away from your booth and your friends would help sell your book, and Mm -hmm. they didn't write it, they got their own stuff to sell, but they will go out of their way to do that. Well, like like Phil said, we're in competition, but we're not in competition. You know, we're here to help. Yeah, well, and, and we all kind of write something a little bit different about the sure. American frontier. So nobody's ever doing the same exact yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not so going that's to why it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think anybody any one of us would want to do the same exact thing. No, you know, no. you want to find some originality in what you're doing and so I love it when I see something new that's fresh and interesting. I know. Yeah. I um I review books for Cowgirl magazine. I also do a regular column in there about iconic cowgirls. And I just reviewed this amazing book called um, Horse Karma, and it's about it's written from the horse's perspective about his <laughs> cool. life and being abused and trying to find somebody to take care of him. And it's really a phenomenal book. Cool. But I mean, it's a re- it's a fresh approach to that story. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. I love being able to find something I haven't read before, and it's you know it, people are lots of talent. You know, I'm glad you said that because I've, I've been reading this book. It's called After and Before the Lightning, Simon J. Ortiz. He's a Native American writer, poet. And I love poetry. I love especially cowboy poetry. And there's something about this guy's poetry that just, he's, he's an Indian speaking Indian, but in English. And it's just so descriptive, so cultural. And, and I read a poem a night. And the last two nights has been this poem about this Indian who is heading to the king's house because he needs something for the village. And on the journey, he comes across this old, dilapidated, on his last legs, dying horse. And he stops and he sees the horse 
and he goes, beloved horse. And he goes and he gets some water for him. And, and he tr- starts to go away, and the horse goes, thank you, sir. And he turns, he starts talking to him, and he says, could you, could you do me a favor? He says, I've got to get to the king. What is it? He says, would you get some more water and wash my swords? Well, he goes through this, goes through this. And finally, at one point, he washes the sores. The sores fall off, and he's a young horse and a pinto, caballo pinto. <laughs> and then the second the second poem is takes up from there. And at the end of the poem, he goes, the horse goes, I'm a young horse now. Get on my horse, get on my back, and I'll take you to the king. Isn't it wonderful to be able to see the amazing things that people can do, can can take something, a fresh approach to something that's been done a bunch of times? What's happening in your saved file? You've got, I know you've got all kinds of ideas. <laughs> I am working on a big book right now about Machine Gun Kelly, the gangster Machine Gun Kelly uh-huh. and his wife, Catherine Thorne Kelly. And then I'm also working on a book um, about Zoe Tillman, who was Bill Tillman's, yeah. Marsha Bill Tillman's wife. And she was an amazing author. God, what a another, idea. Yeah, she just was phenomenal writer. And she's the one that wrote about Bill. And lots of people, lots of critics of Bill's out there. Not lots. I know two in particular, but they, <laughs> they don't have enough going on in their brain to know what they're raw talking about. <laughs> Tillman was known as the finest of us all. And uh, his wife was the one who wrote about a lot of what he did and I've been going through a lot of Tillman stuff he wrote yeah. down everything he he mm. I, so I have cool. one big chief file one big chief tablet after another of his where he's written down what happened to him hard to write he had beautiful penmanship but I mean it's that flowery script <laughs> oh, yeah, stuff yeah, where you go yeah. what in the world is this an F or is this a G what is this word <laughs> you know so, that is so cool because cool. my grandmother my mom's mom uh my grandfather was a law enforcement in Lubbock, and my grandmother was a jailer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she just was, she was amazing in and of her own right, and um, like, she wrote, I can't tell you how many books about Oklahoma. Yeah. It really needs to be recognized as one of the top female writers of that time, and really brought Oklahoma into its own, and writing yeah poetry about it and books about it. She did this amazing book called The Dugout. Talk about a fresh approach to something. The Dugout is uh, this amazing story about um, a dugout hut, but it's not. But it's about three families that lived in there, so the dugout is the main character. And it's about the generations. That's right, the generations that yeah. came in and out of yeah. there. And so, just It's a, like just your a, horse. Tell the yeah, exactly. The story. Yeah. Just a fresh approach to something. <laughs> Chris Hans, thank you much. Thank you very much. You guys are delightful. Welcome back. It's Harry Alexander and Bunker de France on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We are coming to you from the Tombstone Book Festival, the first annual book festival. And with us now is Western Writers of America Vice President Melody Groves. She's in charge of Vice. I'm in charge of Vice, yes. Thank you. Well, you've written enough about Vice. I have. Yeah, she's written about everything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. You, Melody is famous for writing uh, some great books uh, about women in the West. And one of the favorites, at least from my wife's point of view, is your series on your lady sheriffs. She was sheriff, yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my series of two right now. 
Hey, it's building. It is. It's building. And the, the Lady of the Law, which is the sequel to She Was Sheriff, came out last March. So it's barely a year old. It's a baby. But it's growing as we speak. It is growing. And it's those two books have become surprisingly popular. I didn't write them to be real popular. You know, Of course, you want that. But sure. um, people, for some reason, it resonates with people because it's set in California in 1872. And this woman who's a 30-something spinster doesn't really have anything to do in particular. Her dad is the ba uh, bank president, and uh, she keeps house, and she's pretty bored with the whole thing. And she is waiting to go off with her white knight and have a house, <laughs> get married, have a house, kids, things like that. And it just isn't happening. She's still waiting. <laughs> and uh, this guy has is gone, and he keeps has written her a time or two and said, hey, you know, keep the faith. I'll be back. And Isn't it about time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's a little tiny town. I'm telling you all this. It's a little tiny town in Northern California. And nothing ever happens. There's it's about 700 people. It, nothing ever happens. So the three town counselors, who are all business owners, are saying we need to bring more people in because... Nobody's buying anything. Nobody knows who so, we are. So, conveniently, the old sheriff has gone fishing and just didn't bother to come back. <laughs> so Got pulled in the river. Yeah, so they said, you know, hey, how about Maud? Maud Overstreet. She's not doing anything. She's relatively smart. She went to school. <laughs> and she would be a good sheriff until we can elect a real one. So let's talk her into it. So they talk her into it. Well, what they didn't count on was that she has spunk and gumption. What she didn't count on was that she needed to carry a gun and had never carried a gun, <laughs> but she shot one. She learns how to shoot a gun and a rifle, a shotgun. Uh, she learns she'd never been in a saloon. She went in and started learning how to drink whiskey, which was interesting, <laughs> and beer. And um, Can I meet her? <laughs> Bunker's looking for someone. Yeah. She's a, a great gal. She really is. Uh, I don't want to say she's based on me, but we had a certain, a couple of things that Revealing were similar. Noah. We went to school, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, we went to school together. Yeah. Was she a bull rider? She was not a bull rider, but she learned how to ride a horse. There you go. And then she learned how to uh, drive a stagecoach because the guy who was driving the, the actually the mail wagon got sick and... So she had to go do it. So she learns. Oh, and then she became, becomes the head of a posse. <laughs> On the job training. On the job training. For sure. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, one of the neat things about the book, I, I, I'm not familiar with the second one, but the first one, is how the ladies of the town, because of her, start flowering. Uh-huh. And they, be, they, they start taking positions of yeah. prominence. Yeah. Right. And that is so neat. Yeah, and they kind of blame, the men blame her. <laughs> and the women say, "Oh, that's great! Yeah. You know, because you can do this. I think we will too." Yeah. So, yeah. So, as in your position as the vice president of uh, the Western Riders of America, that's that's uh, the vice president's job. Usually, is the uh, you're the president in training, and basically, you do all the work. <laughs> Well, fortunately, That's what you're finding out, right? <laughs> actually, fortunately, I'm not doing all of the work. I'm doing 
more than I thought I was going to, but our new president has insisted that everybody on the board be aware of what's going on. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, meetings. What, what a and, concept. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's nice to be uh, in the know. Well, you know, that's one of the things I noticed about WWA is that uh, the officers are all involved. They're all promoting and working hard, and it's not just their area. You know, you look at, like, Johnny Boggs. The man is a phenomenon. To, yes. to, he cranks out, you know, he, he cranks out three novels between breakfast and lunch right. and then publishes the roundup. Right, and then there's his uh, yeah, magazine articles that he does at yeah. night. And he still has time to go watch his son play baseball. Right. And coach, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because you, you, do, you do a lot of writing in True West and uh, Wild yeah. West. I yeah. do. I do. And yeah, that's great because it's always fun to pick up a magazine and see a name, you know. <laughs> I recognize that person. <laughs> yeah. So what are, you, uh, what are you hoping, you and Phil, hoping to do uh, or planning to do with the organization now? I am planning and Phil's coming along with me too and, and he's kind of started the idea but making it much more um, member centric mm -hmm. it tends to be it, it could be a certain group of people doing all the planning mm -hmm. and, and doing all the work is, yeah. and all the having I don't want to say the fun but it is kind of fun um, we really want to move it along to where it's members are taking care of other members, and it's not just the board taking care of the members. Yeah, it's like a mentor, mentoring. Yes. Type thing, one know. thing we've started, which, which was really interesting, uh, is actually one of the gentlemen is here today. We have a, a young guns. Yes. Group coming, and it's it's a brand new concept, and they're the ones that came up with the name. But it was Phil yeah. the one who said, we need to bring in younger people. A younger being. 50. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, 70. <laughs> we have some, some new guys that we're just need to kind of move on. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the neat things, though. It's like you, you say, because I've been on a lot of boards and found out that generally, on even on the boards, it was certain people that did all yep. the work. Right. But some people just get on a board and put it on their resume. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's one of the things I've seen here with you guys is that it's an active board. People are traveling, they're going, you know, they're coming to events. Mm -hmm. like, you know, the book fair coming up this weekend. Right. Yeah, we're going to have at least 15, at least 15 WWA members there that wow. I know of and probably 10 more that I don't know of. One thing that I want to do next year when I'm president, which is a scary thing to say, <laughs> I would like to really use our technology today. And I want to bring in, through Zoom, our members overseas. Mm -hmm. We've got several. We have a couple in Japan. We have some in France. We've got several in England. We have some who can't make our conventions. We usually have about 200 people at a convention, but we have 800 members. Yeah. So not everybody comes. I would like to use Zoom, have our members maybe say in, um, I'll just use Germany as an example, give us a, um, at one of our meetings, say, tell us about the Western thinking there in Germany, the Western literature. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Or in Japan. Yep. How do you, what do you do in Japan? to promote Western literature. Um, 